What's happening, weirdos? Before we get into uh, this week's episode, Ben Schwartz, one of my favorite performers and people, uh, is returning for this episode via Zoom. This is the first episode we've done uh, since people are um, in lockdown um, over the old Zoomers here. (laughs) Zoomers? Not everything has to be a thing. Well, whatever. Everything has to be a thing. Uh, over the Zoomers, um, I thought just today, I was like, it's a great time for a best of You Made It Weird episode. And I texted Katie and I was surprised that the last one we did actually cut off in May of 2018. So it's been two years. So if you have uh, suggestions for moments that are either funny, uh, silly, or otherwise memorable that you think were some of the best moments from the past two years, I just made a post on the Facebook page. Uh, you can, uh, the You Made It Weird pa- uh, Facebook page. Uh, go ahead and leave a comment uh, below, um, and we will try and get all of those moments into a, wa- a great third installment of Best Of You Made It Weird. I personally just want to hear them. Maybe we'll do uh, a new way where I play them and react to them with Val or something, because honestly, I, I would love to hear... So some of the moments from yesteryear, all the stories about touching faces and being in crowds, I think it would do us well. Uh, this episode did me very well. Ben is incredible, um, and it was just as good, even though I couldn't see him. I mean, it was a little bit different, but uh, just as funny and silly and fun. So let's get to that as quickly as possible, as I always say. I am very, very grateful for the Pete's Picks. Uh, each one of them is helping me cope, and that's 100% real. Uh, It's not a advertising hook. I am surviving (laughs) Uh, great in great part uh, with uh, Charlotte's Web, which, as you know, is is one of the things that I use to regulate my mood, help me feel good, help me deal with stress. Um, So CWHemp.com slash weird. Use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19. Charlotte's Web has been helping a lot of my friends, too. They've been mentioning uh, texting me, hey, thanks for the free Charlotte's Web when they did the podcast because it does help uh, in times like these for me, for sure. Um, Kachava as well. Kachava is, as you guys know, is a plant-based superfood drink mix that I love and swear by that Valerie, who I always sort of tease, doesn't like my weird uh, vegan superfood things, loves Kachava. It actually tastes great, but it, even more importantly, it makes you feel full for hours. It's a wonderful meal replacement. It's as close as I've come to a meal in a pill. And uh, I'm grateful to have lots and lots of it because all I have to do is throw it in a bottle and shake it up uh, and it's good to go. Keeps you full, keeps you feeling great from basically a nutrition overload, if such a thing is possible. It's just all these nutrients that are so hard to find in the standard American diet, uh, all in one bag. It's plant-based. For people that are curious about eating plants, how to get more plant-based nutrition in them, this is 100% plant-based. Omega-3s from chia seed and flax seed, not an uh, anonymous barrel of fish, as I always say, just being pressed and drained in some ooze. Get it from plants, eight super fruits, 17 greens and veggies. It's gluten-free. It's soy-free. There's no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. There's just enough coconut nectar in there to be sweet. Uh, coconut nectar is a low glycemic sweetener, which means it won't spike your blood sugar and won't cause you to crash afterwards. Uh, it's got digestive support built in, 24 grams of plant-based protein. People always wonder where the vegans get their protein. Bam! 
Java, 24 grams of plant-based protein that is very bioavailable because it's in a liquid form, gets into your cells quickly, makes you feel fantastic and full. Nine grams of fiber. Uh, I make it with water because I'm often, uh, I used to be drinking it on the road. Now I'm drinking it in my kitchen. Uh, and sometimes now I'll make it with almond milk, frozen strawberries, tastes like chocolate, strawberry ice cream. Got macaroon in there for vitality and energy. Cacao, which is a wonderful mood elevator. Um, I got it to add to my smoothie. Turns out it is a smoothie in a bag. And I'm so grateful to them. And uh, people are ordering a lot, as I can understand. Um, and I'm happy to offer the listeners 20% off and show your support of the show. K-A-C-H-A-V-A, Kachava.com slash weird. And you'll get 20% off your order. Uh, that's it, guys. One Pete's pick. One, uh, go to the Facebook page and post some moments. Let's get to Ben Schwartz. Before we do, speaking of best of moments, um, I'm going to have the wonderful Katie Levine play the Ben Schwartz best of moment. This was already on uh, a previous best of, but we talk about this moment a little bit in this episode. So here is, again, one of my favorite things to hear, my Matt Damon story that Ben Schwartz redeemed and saved and made me laugh so, so hard. So we'll play that and we'll go into the episode I sincerely hope this is finding you guys well. For the weirdos that uh, do relate, by the way, to the to the third act of our show, the spiritual part, Eckhart Tolle uh, did post um, something about uh, the pandemic that's happening, and I found it to be deeply helpful. If you're into that sort of thing, I didn't want to tweet it. It, se- it seemed trite for some reason. I didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm sensitive. Like people would make fun of me. But if you like that sort of stuff. Eckhart Tolle on his YouTube had a wonderful video about staying grounded in your sense of being, in in the core of your being, and uh, finding refuge there, uh, regardless of what's happening in your life. I found that very, very helpful. He's wonderful. So check that out if you'd like. I'm sure I'll be paraphrasing it in upcoming episodes, but if you can't wait, (laughs) check him out on YouTube now. But for now, something sillier. Here's Ben Schwartz, and then our chat over Zoom. And uh, hopefully, we'll. Oh, I, I meant to mention we'll be mixing it up. I have back uh, backlogged episodes, so we'll do one over Zoom. Then next week we'll do one of the ones that I recorded before all of this. Then we'll go back and forth so we can have a taste of what it used to be like and a taste of what it's like now. And hopefully, before we know it, um, we'll be back to normal and uh, better than ever. All right, guys, get into it. What's your Matt Damon story? Uh, okay, Matt Damon. Play it through. So this is the rehearsed thing that you had rehearsed. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna be, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do what I think he did, and then you tell me exactly what happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so you're him. Here we go. Me, and I realize his wife is just handing him his her He's purse. next to Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck is, is occupied, but next Great, to Great, so he's by himself with nobody to talk to. Kind of. Beverage in hand? Yes. Okay. He could have easily... He started talking to someone else, and I realized that's as good as it gets. Yep. You got to go in there. So I went in there. And I tapped him on the shoulder, and I go, uh, Matt, sorry, sorry to disturb you. I'm uh, going to be Matt. Okay, Do it for yeah, real. Yeah. Do it for real. Matt, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. I'm, I'm Pete Holmes. I don't know if you remember. We did that water.org video together. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. It's, it's, uh, it's nice to see you again. <clears throat> we, we, we actually made it. This is what you rehearsed? That you were going to cough like that? No. Do it your rehearsed. I realized that I didn't. Have a good second thing. Oh, no. By the way, on the live, when it happened, you realized you had nothing else. I realized that once I was there, I was just 
robbing him of of his time. Oh God! And I was like, yeah, that was, that was a great. Goodness uh, that you. moment of you don't want to talk to me. I know, I know you don't want to. I've had and that I moment before. I should have just walked away. I should have just said, "What'd you say?" Would you, okay, now go through what really I happened. I went like, uh, "I actually." Oh, did he say he knew what you were talking about? He's like, "Yeah, oh, yeah. he did." He was like, "I Good. remember that." We we acted a little bit together. Like we had to do multiple scenes where okay. we were looking at each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was stupid. I'm sure he doesn't really remember, but he, I believed him when he was like, okay. I, I kind of remember. Then I was like, we actually, we do a late night show and we made, that's embarrassing, and we made this parody called Goodwill Batman. I was just wondering if you saw it. And he was like, and what was weird was, and Matt Damon's the, the best, I, I'm not trying to shit on it at all. He kind of said like, oh yeah, yeah, I think I, think I did see that. You know what I mean? Just... Almost like, what are we going to stand around and wonder if we saw it? So he just kind of jumped to, yeah, I think I instead of saying that. like, oh, I didn't see that. Here's the DVD of it. Yeah, I'd really yeah, like yeah, you to yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And then I we just made some small talk about Boston. I was like, oh god, this is really killing me. And you, how did you get out? How did you get out? Someone came up to him. It was like it was probably like a minute. You know, we were talking yeah. that just felt really long to me. Someone came up and tapped him, and or you know, just like came over, and he was like, ah. And then Oren came back from the bathroom. I introduced him to Oren, and then we both just walked away. But what? Here's what I should have done, man. I'm so sorry to bother you. We actually did that video a little while. Oh ago, yeah, thewater.org. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, huge fan. Just so nice to see you. Uh, just wanted to say hi. Cool. Hey, didn't you do that Goodwill Hunting Batman thing? And I- <laughs> Saying yes? Oh no! Wait a second, I'm gonna plug you in. <laughs> Do you regret this? Are you flooded with regret? Wow, baby, 2020, baby, Katie Levine, baby. <laughs> two zero two zero. So, th- how often have you recorded a podcast through this device? Zero. That's what the zeros in 2020 stood for. So was the, the number of the amount of people? The twos is it's actually a funny story. Two times <laughs> on two separate February 2nds, which of course is 2-2. Two, two, of course. I found a number 2, which is obviously a human feces, yeah. in a uh, a uh, uh, number 2 pencil. It's it's weird, but somebody had rolled up human feces so fine that I had been writing with it, which would have been fine, but I was taking the ERBs. It's like Uh the SATs. uh uh Uh, And the Scantron did not not, uh, accept the the poo-poo. This is going to be huge. Can you look at your computer screen right now? Can you see that it's two things that are moving? (laughs) Yeah, Can you see how loud you talk compared to how I talk? (laughs) No, no, no. That's enthusiasm. (laughs) I refuse to curb it. I won't curb it. I don't want you to curb a thing, God damn it! I love did it. You, did you hear Larry David's going to be on uh, the new Muppets? He's going to be Kerbit the Frog. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so much for having me on, dude. This was so fun. Ben, people, people don't, people don't tune into this for your COVID, for your COVID nineteen, for your coronavirus. They're not, they're not tuning in for the for the updates. Do you want to get anything out of the way first, or do you want to live in a dream world where it doesn't exist? Dream world. Okay. I am. A, I'm a COVID denier. <laughs> I'm. Re- <laughs> What do you think's happening right now in the world, then? I think it's just, dude, my fucking father, man. He's still, he's, he, why is it the most at-risk people, the oldies, are the ones that are like, it ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. I said, Dad, are you staying in? He goes, can you picture me staying in, Peter? <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, th- so I, I'm not a denier. How are you doing? I'm good. Everything is fine. It's just very uh, scary. This is how Queen wrote songs. Scary. <laughs> get, the, get the teeth in here. <laughs> they called him. Uh, they called him the teeth. I wrote every now and then. I'll write. I'll help someone with their like acceptance speeches for um uh for for award ceremonies. My friend, don't tell me you helped Rami Malek. No, no, no. But one of the lines I wrote for uh, somebody, which they did not say in the end, was uh, I can't believe or I can't believe the supporting uh, actor award didn't go to Rami's teeth. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that really is wonderful. Stuff, man. Really good. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> really who, who, all the audience. Who didn't do it? Listen, Brad Pitt, Leo, Quentin Tarantino, fucking yep. uh, Hillary. Uh, Hillary Robbie is my agent. Uh, what's the one? What's the what's the wonderful actress's name in uh, I Tanya? Hillary. I no Hillary. No Hillary. People who plays I in I Tanya? Oh, at two brute. Uh, Robbie, Robbie. Uh, uh, <laughs> come on, Robbie, Robbie. What's her name? What? No, Ides of March. No, come on. What's this woman's name? She was in um. All right, I'll look it up. No, this I, is like, like one of the most famous actresses in the world. I'm looking it up. Here it is. It's starring Craig Gillespie. I'm that's just kidding. That's, Craig Gillespie. That's the, it's the director. The actress is uh, Margot, Margot Robbie. Robbie. Margot Robbie. Margot, Margot how Robbie. Doing, how are you doing with Child? How is this with Child? With Child? Uh, I do want to get... To you, one thing that watching the uh, the recording signatures on screen, it, it sure does give me a visual. Yeah, it gives me a visual of how much more I talk than my guests. I wonder so- if it really changed the way that you talk because of this, or rather just for this episode, because you could literally see when you talk and when I talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm just staying on the I, Tanya page, to be honest. That's real. <laughs> I don't want to see a, I don't want to see the clock is why. I don't want to, I don't want to think, oh, it's been 10 minutes. How many, uh, is it good? You know, yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to be. Right. I want to be fresh. I want to be silly. Every couple um, of minutes, can you just please uh, add another actor in the I in the I Tanya uh, cast list, and I'll try to guess what character they played. Yeah, sure. Let me let me go ahead and open up. I'm going deep now. I'm going into a, a website called IMDb. Oh, the, inter- the international movie. international movie database. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the B got it in the acronym. Who's B's agent? It's database. It's it's one word. You know, I go on IMDb to look up who reps B because they got them in the title. Well, Single card. Have you ever been to IMDBS? It's just my IMDb. 
<laughs> it's literally just my internet uh, movie, international movie database. Because can GPS. Say, can I say uh, to now that we're recording that everybody, uh, how this started was that you a couple days ago, I think before the virus, or was it before the virus? I think it before was before. The virus, like, it was you're like let's do I, one. And then, I was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Go ahead, buddy. Sorry. Okay. And so uh, let's do one. I was like, all right, that'd be, that'd be really fun. And then, uh, and then this happened. You're like, you know what? We should really do one now. And then you're like, what about? And you're starting to schedule. And you're like, what about tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, what time works? And you're like, whatever, like five. I'm like, great, five. I was like, wait, we're we're not doing anything. Why don't we just do it now? And you're like, great. <laughs> and I told you that I was, you know, I'm I'm aware that uh, sometimes this podcast gets uh, serious, and I, I really love that. But it's often the silliness that will stick with me. The depth does as well. But I was thinking of several Ben Schwartz moments, um, and I told you this already, but specifically I told you the story about meeting Matt Damon oh, and, yes. uh, and how he – he didn't snub me. He, I'm the ass in that story. I'm not saying that for political reasons to stay on Matty D's good side. I mean it. I, I was the drunk guy that went up to him, and then you reenacted it, and it made oh, me sing. yeah. You, Remember, you were like, let's do it again. And, yeah, and you yeah, played yeah. Matt Damon and you said, hey, aren't you the guy from that thing? And I just started singing and I will always love you. Are there and, any other moments in your life that you wish that you could have a do-over on? Because now I'd love to do at least one more. Is there a moment in your oh, life with a celebrity MG. or anything that you're like, you know what? I, I could have done this better if I had one more shot. Well, people, I'm, I'm, a lot of them have been shared on this pod uh, already. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. I have one. I have one. Um, oh, it, Regina Spector, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's a musician, right? Mm-hmm. I'm getting this right. I just want to make sure I get I a, a young. She's from. She lives in New York, maybe. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is the bad thing about having computers in front of us. Yes, Regina Spector. She's I know. She was also on the Hamilton mixtape, I believe. Yeah, it was Regina Spector. I just want to make sure I. You know, we're all in a daze. <laughs> we're all in a daze. Way, I use that. I use that to get out of everything. We're all in a daze. Are you, um, are you trying to do work during all this? Like, are you are you trying to do work or no? I like you. Um, I, uh, I I'm lucky that I have a couple scripts that I'm working on. Lucky meaning I can I have something to whittle at. Mm. It's nothing like looming over my head because everything's sort of shut down. But uh, I have it's like a little bonsai tree. These a couple scripts that I'm working on that I can go out for a couple hours and, and trim. Uh, most of my life is, is hanging out with uh, baby Leela and Val. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's no um, Katie or nanny isn't coming by. So it's, it's just a full-time oh, job. Yeah. So that's pretty, pretty, you know, it's sort of a good thing because we have something that needs our attention all the time. So it keeps us from just going like, what, what do I do? She she always needs something or wants something or needs a walk or needs to be fed yeah. or whatever. Isn't that nice that you get to be what around he, your baby that, for that long? That's so fun. I I have to downplay it because I know not everybody's in this situation, but there is something for me. I realize that one, I carry a lot of stress, even though I love doing stand-up. As soon as my entire calendar vanished, I you got to – feel the weight of that, even though it's something that I love. I know you love, like you do your shows with Middleditch, for example. Mm-hmm. That, that's a joy. And yet, I wonder, I'm going to f- ask, but it's a leading question. I have to imagine that even when that something that you love is taken off the calendar, you realize that in your basic 
sort of lizard brain, you're carrying uh, some stress. You're carrying like a, a projection of how that might go, even if it's very deeply subconscious. And when it goes away, I was like, oh my God, I haven't felt this way in in decades where I just have nothing. And again, uh, I know not everybody has this situation, but for me, I've been like, oh, wow, I, I'm, I'm a pan- – Val and I joked, we're pandemic people. We're hanging out with Leela. We're uh, sticking around the house. We're cooking. We enjoy each other. Uh, at night, we watch a movie, and that's pretty much it. But what are you, what are you doing? Tell me what I, you're doing. I find myself I, – I, I, like you, I owe a script somewhere, but I find myself every time I try to write, I get like a couple sentences in or I rewrite the same sentences a couple times, and I, it's very hard for me not to keep looking at Twitter, very hard for me not to keep looking at CNN.com and like checking everything out. And then that puts me in a wormhole, and then I try to get myself back. And even when I write my whole life, I would go to like you know Twitter, Instagram for like a second and keep coming back and forth, but – this time it's like when yeah. you're, it just, it consumes me. And then I can't, I can't quite get on track. Uh, so it's been hard, you know, hard, oh, hard yeah. to write, but um, it's. I completely understand. I've had days where I sat down and I just go, it's not in there. Like everything mm-hmm. that we do to feed our creativity, even though writing is isolating and, and you're just sitting and, you know, technically we are able to write, we can type. Uh, doing live shows, going to dinner with friends. That's writing. Wouldn't you agree? It's like it fills you up with those experiences that you're you're recreating on the page. I think there's – I mean maybe I said this the first time I was on a podcast. But there's this thing where when I started doing improv at the very beginning, my whole life was comedy where I was like waking up in the morning writing jokes for uh, – freelancing jokes for Letterman. Then I would go work as a page for Letterman. Then I would uh, be an intern at UCB. And then I'd try to get on stage at midnight for uh, you know Liquid Courage or whatever they called it at – at UCB. And, and then I would take classes. And during some of my classes, I'd be like, God, I feel like I'm just like rehashing the same scenes. And, and the teacher said, you gotta, you have to have experiences. You have nothing to improvise. Yeah. Off. She's like, you're improvising off of comedy. And I was like, Oh my God, you're right. So she's like, go on a date, go yeah. to the zoo. Go, and this is years ago, 2003, yeah. 2004. Yeah. And so uh, yeah. that, that is a big thing. I found myself going to video games. So I've been going and playing old video games that I've beaten in the past. Uh, like um, there's this game called Chrono Trigger, which is a great game for Super Nintendo, and I'm replaying that. But then it tells you how long you've played when you save it every time. And anytime I see huh. the number of hours, I'm like, oh no, I got to get back to work. What am I doing? And like that never shuts off. Yeah, that piece of me is like, oh, well, you're wasting time somehow. Get back in there. What are you doing? Like that. That never. But really that's you. You. I feel like you're not opening the one gift for people like us in this field that you have is is the ultimate excuse to to play. Corona trigger, is it? Don't you fucking dare. How dare you? <laughs> you know it's not called Corona trigger, Pete. Pity. Pity Hollums. It's Corona trigger. C H R O N O. Did you ever play video games growing up? Dude, I'm I'm fucking I'm Johnny video games, baby. I know all the games. There's a birthday party of yours that we played Rampage together. Do you remember that? Benny, I remember that very fondly because we uh, – I, I was doing the Pete Home Show at the time, very, very busy, and I, I had help booking the bar. I was like, I want to go to a bar that has video games. I should have specified I want like 90s video games. I want the video games that we played when we were kids, and it was like 80s video games, which is a fine mistake. I, I should have uh, – poked my nose in and seen what was happening. So we get there and it was all these old video games. So the birthday party, it's actually my birthday uh, on the 30th. We're coming up on it. 
Hey, um, let's all get together. Hey, let's go to. <laughs> let's lick each other's faces, as is the custom. Oh, I love it! Happy <laughs> birthday. The bar was uh, was not a hit. I remember just having – I don't host a lot of parties, but – and this is kind of why. I'm at this party and I'm like, oh, no, I, I my party is not good. People weren't really enjoying the games very much. There was no hits. There was no Simpsons video game, no Ninja Turtles, uh, no uh, Off-Road, the, you know, the car game. Of course. I think those things that, that get a group going. It was all like Spy Hunter and fucking Pac-Man. So the only fond memory I have of that. I have two memories of that birthday. One is bringing a double vodka into Spy Hunter alone where I moped. And two, <laughs> two, you arrived late and fucking Benny Schwartz, you killed it. It was a dud of a party. Most of the people had left and you came in and you gave me one of my f- fondest birthday memories, which was that you were like, I want to play Rampage with you. And Val was there and she watched us play and you were being funny. And I was, it was a real, it was a mitzvah. I, I, I'm not saying that because you know you're Jewish. So I would say that anyway. <laughs> It sounds, it sounds like you're saying because I'm Jewish. But th- you know what's interesting <laughs> is that there I was, right, with my yarmulke and my half a pound of locks, and I came into the place yeah. spinning I my wish you had half food. a pound of locks. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'd go for some latkes right now. They keep well. All right, man. I get it. You know a Jewish person. But the, uh, for, <laughs> for that, that party to me was great. Like I went in there <laughs> thinking like, oh, this is super fun. Let's do it up. I didn't have the probably the, the, the visual of you moping. While playing Spy Hunter and downing a double vodka is something that I will cherish for the rest of my life. I wanted to be led into that semi truck as the Spy Hunter car and then not come (laughs) out. I just wanted him to drive me. He seems invincible, although he's not. He can't explain. He's not. He spins out Uh, if there's oil. Oh, yeah, yeah. You need need a a, a dry road. (laughs) So, much like life. You tell me, you, uh, first of all, a couple things you said. One, Completely agree. Creativity is uh, being out in the mix. Those comedians that end up doing the, – the reason why it's a, a kind of a cliche that we do jokes about airlines is because once you become a touring comic, that's a real risk that you don't have a life anymore. So you just talk about motels and, and airline food. Think about so air, think think, an airline joke right now. Just do it. Let's see if you can do it, Pete. This is what you are. This is what you train for. Okay. Go. Recycled air. Recycled air. Isn't all air recycled? <laughs> is there somewhere you can go to get new air? They're in the plane bragging like they've got the corner, the market cornered on fresh air. Have you heard of outdoors? It's free. It's fresh. And brother, you can't crash. Hey, stewardesses and stewardess men, why are you putting on that apron when you cook my food? It's not really cooking. You're popping it in a little hot box. Also, why are you allowed to heat things up? Couldn't you burn down the whole goddamn plane? Listen, if I want my meatballs that hot, but it risks the whole chance of the thing going down, I don't fucking want them. And you need to keep the food parts in what looks like a foot locker from Judge Dredd. Virgin America puts in like black lights and techno music. It still looks like you're getting my lasagna out of Gargamel's basement. Hey, and when you give me that one tiny little bottle and I ask, is it possible for another bottle? Don't lie to my goddamn face and tell me there's no more bottles. I know you got more bottles. 
Don't fill it up with your weird fucking toilet water and call it a Dasani with salt. Oh my god, the toilet water. I've had stewardesses and stewards tell me, don't get the coffee. It's the potted water. You've been in a trailer on a set. Would you take a cup of that water? You turn the faucet and it goes It's Winnebago water. What is this, Mad Max? Why am I hitting the water pump kick on? And why did you see my fettuccine Alfredo on a RoboCop's bedside table? (laughs) We can do it. It's not hard. It's not hard. What? We could do it. You give us a subject. I think we can make jokes up on it for a bit. This is what I think we can. That we needed. That was so much fun. Just listening and going back and forth was so much fun. I wish I could see your face. I really, I, I do. I think that's one of the reasons why it's, you know, I'm not great on the phone. Are you a phone guy? I don't like the phone. I'm fine with the phone. I like FaceTiming. I'm doing FaceTime. I've been doing Marco Polo with some of my friends, which has been really fun. But I, what I used to do. M- now, MP. Now, uh, yeah, talking about MP. Now, um, God, I get <laughs> a little bit of bread and it's in the back of my throat and I just can't quite. Uh, it'll, I'll get it. But uh, I used to, when I, when I lived in uh, West Hollywood, I used to take all my phone calls while walking outside. So like I'll be walking and be like away. But now I, I live a little bit in a more elevated place where there's not as much service. And because of that, I can't go outside. So all my phone calls are inside now. So I've yeah. gained like 50 pounds probably. I hear that, and I you've just made me realize I like making phone calls in the car. But I don't just like, what am I supposed to be looking at right now? Regina Spector's Wikipedia page? Like, I don't know what to do. Oh, finish like, that story. Finish that story. Human? Sorry, finish that story. Go. We just we just had a great time. Well, I forgot about it. Well, I was one of the great things about having this computer open is I, I, I don't have to rush to that story. But here it is. This is the one that we'll fix. Okay. Right. I can't, I can't believe I've never told this story on the podcast. I usually rush with my uh, embarrassments. So Regina Spector did uh, a show with me uh, in uh, at the Gramercy Theater in New York. New York, sure. And um, I met her uh, husband, um, Jack, who was uh, a very sweet man. And we were just sort of I, – I, I, don't, I don't know Regina. I'm an admirer of hers. Uh, Val loves her. We're having a wonderful, she was just being such a delight. And this is a story where I'm an ass. We made some, (laughs) somehow it came up that Jack, like I was like, I was riffing or something. And then I go, and then uh, Jack walks into traffic and gets hit by the truck from Spy Hunter. And and we laugh, right? Uh And they were like such newlyweds or, or something. I don't know if they were newlyweds, but they're just in love. And she goes, Oh God, no! About him dying, and then I go, "Be a great album." <laughs> like, like I said, the album where you mourn. Like it's not even worth talking about. Why am I telling the story? It was it was a nightmare. You she they rolled you, with it. She told you to stop, and you went twice as hard. That was like That's right. someone saying, don't dive into the shallow end. And you're like, watch this, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and you try to- I was already falling towards the shallow end, but I was doing a pencil. Yes. They're like, no, no, that's the shallow end. And I said, oh, really? And then I dipped head first. I think that's exactly. You went from just tiptoeing in to <laughs> the guy from Mousetrap that dives backwards off of the trampoline into that little pool. <laughs> <laughs> you mean flipping a man in the pan? That's exactly flip correct. a man in the pan. That is exactly flip correct. a man in the pan. You're effing an MVP. Um, I don't know. How, so you'll be Regina and I'll be me. And uh, and we'll fix it. 
Okay, great. Oh, Pete, this is so great that you're coming, uh, that you're doing the show. This yeah. is so fun. This is my husband. Yeah. I met my husband, Jack. Oh, hi. Uh, I, I think maybe we met downstairs. Uh, I was the guy that uh, looked at the hummus but didn't have any. Oh, yeah. The guy, yeah, that was funny. Why didn't you have any hummus? <laughs> I just was like, open air hummus. I don't know. I know it's only uh, 2018, but I'm sort of like worried that there might be some sort of pandemic. That's okay. just me. All right. I All feel right. like it might come to fruition in a few years, but uh, I don't know. Don't listen to me. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> uh, so uh, I'm glad you're doing the show, Regina. My wife, oh, Val, you. loves you. Hey, she, Val. How and are I you? love Regina. you, too. Nice to meet you, Regina. How is every? Oh, nice to meet you, Val. How are you? I'm very good. Oh, <laughs> are, you oh from, it's hard. are you from the 30s? Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting a, a spell of the vapors. Oh my! Do you have to go to market? Sorry, Val. She's she's she has a spell of the vapors. She is going to pick up a single loaf of French bread in a canvas bag later, but, but that, that has nothing to that has nothing to do with anything, really. Okay, good. She's going to get preserves and jams and jars. Yes, there's nothing I like more than getting the groceries just for that night's supper. I oh hope nothing goodness. in the future happens where I have to buy, like, a bulk of stuff and stay indoors. Yeah, both of you guys are so in tune with weird viruses that might happen 20 years from now. That yeah. So weird. We, I just keep watching Contagion. It, it's just, it, I just can't stop coming when I watch it. It really gets me there. I'm sorry? <laughs> Now I'm going to be Ben real quick. You had the opportunity to save yourself. And before you even got to the moment where you screwed up, you, you fucked up twice as hard. Do you understand what just happened? I regret nothing. That we didn't even get to that, the point where you messed and, up. That I'm sorry. Was the stuff of legend. I mean, <laughs> I can't tell you how happy it made me that you gave it a hard dot, dot, dot. Sorry. It was just brilliant. It was, I'm crying. Great singer, by the way. Can we play some of her music in the background while we're doing this song? <laughs> we, we can't afford it. Of course not. I'm just kidding. I, I'm pretty sure we're we're not that popular of a show. I think we've done things that you're not supposed to do. I feel like you like, are popular. I, Am I incorrect? Oh, that's not. I just mean we're not. I feel like a like a, a Joe Rogan or somebody plays a song. Maybe they get called on that. Oh, we play yeah, songs yeah, all yeah. the time, and nobody nobody. That I mean it in a good way. I mean it's you, like a, you feel competitive. I, I feel that way about my career. With the other people that have podcasts, is it like a stand-up world where you may be – I know you don't seem competitive, but where you're like looking at other people's careers. Improv, it doesn't really happen as much, but stand-up – or is it like that with podcasts also where you'll look at like Scott Aukerman or you'll look at Joe Rogan or you'll look at uh, Mark Marin and is it considered competition for you or no? This that's not That kind of goes against what this podcast is about. You're very sweet, and I, I'm going to stop letting you interview me in 30 minutes. <laughs> When we hit the fifty-four minute mark, yeah. When we hit fifty-four, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start lobbing you a few cues. I can't wait. Um, I will a the fuck out of those cues. I don't know why. I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that it's just never occurred to me to Google the ratings or, or to see where we are. I, when, when Marin had um, Brad Pitt on, I thought that was so fucking cool. But when Marin had too. Obama on, I was like, oh, this is over. There's, there's no competition anymore. And Rogan, forget it. That's, that's just a completely different. You know what I mean? I'm a pony, and he's like a, a fucking 
huge, what's that big wheel monster truck? Like a pony can. Yeah, pony's but, not interested. Pony, this pon- this pony's, pony's eating got, flowers. This pony's got huge fucking balls. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, when, I, when I kneel at a crick to drink, I actually kneel on my balls, and they're so big. There's like a, prote- like a, like a gobstopper. There's a shell around them so I can kneel. <laughs> sure, it's very nice. What, are you a competitive fella? Because it took me a long time to realize that I am competitive, and I feel like everybody has to be competitive to make it to where you are these days. I am not a very competitive person. Like when I play basketball, I haven't played basketball in a little bit, uh, especially because of this shit that's going on. But before that, I hurt my knee a little bit. So I haven't played basketball in a tiny bit. And uh, But when I play basketball, I'm not – I don't need to win. It's, it'll, it'll be fun if we do, but I don't need to win at all. I, I, I just uh, – I need to sweat and not get injured. That's all I care about in basketball now. Um, and maybe it's because – Right, was- but isn't that because you're win- – oh, go ahead. Maybe that's because – uh, in high school, I was never like, I was like supposed to be six man, but never really got to do it when I played in the high school team. And so I was like, Oh, like I, I never was like the star person on any of the things. So for, for yeah. me, there was never that edge like, Oh, we got to but I'm, but I like love, you know, like I love watching sports and rooting for people. I don't think I'm competitive there. I do think there's a piece of it. That's, um, that's like in comedy and what we do, you, ha- it's not, it's not. It's not competitive. It's more like driven. I'm like driven to work hard. I want to make sure that I'm using <laughs> using my time in the right way. I'm writing scripts when I'm free. I'm acting in things I care about, like doing that. But I won't look at someone's career. Maybe at the beginning, I look at someone's career and be like, "Oh, I wish I had that." And then once you start ha- right. forming your own career, like I don't do this, but like if you look at Brad Pitt, I'm like, I'm never going to be Brad Pitt. I'm not going to be like. I don't need to be Brad Pitt. Like I'm happy doing this shit. You know what I mean? Da, da, da. I think, you know, right. uh, when you start getting your own career and you kind of look at stuff, you're like, you know, I'm kind of happy doing this stuff. Yeah. It'd be really cool to be the lead in a Marvel movie, but like, um, this stuff is really fun. If that doesn't happen, you would have been a great, you would have been a great Ant-Man. I love red, but you would have been a great Ant-Man. Oh my God. Ant-Man would be so <laughs> there's this cartoon called plastic man that I really wanted to, uh, do I, ah, know. I know plastic man yeah i got a little plastic he's like a fantastic fourless mr miss captain elastic captain yeah captain four, elastic is his name <laughs> 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 we're all in a fog we're, all we're in a fog. fog we're all in a goddamn isn't fog. it do- isn't it dr fantastic uh, i think it's mr fantastic is it dr fantastic I know for a fact he went to four years of fantastic medical school, so I feel like he oh picked God. the wrong name. I think I broke my chair. I've, ne- I've had this chair for 10 years. I think I just broke it. Oh, oh I wish God. it was during a big riff and you laughed, so it would be no, a I story. I tried to lean on it to stretch more. It doesn't matter. Oh, I'm sorry, Benny. So it sounds can to me you, like can you, you are – Can you just Venmo me for that? It's the right – Yeah, yeah. It's the right – Actually – yeah, it's right here. It's the right arm. Now it goes all the way to the right when it shouldn't. Okay. This is like, uh, oh, who is that story? Oh, it's Frank Sinatra. There was a woman, uh, I don't know, let's say it was Marilyn Monroe, even though it wasn't. And he was like, uh, ba- Marilyn, baby, if you're ever in trouble, call me and uh, we'll take care of it. And there's some story where she's on a date and it's getting like a little inappropriate. She calls Frank. He uh, He goes, don't worry, I'm on it. Hangs up. Like five minutes later, there's a knock on the door. It's the cops. Phone rings. She picks up. It's Frank. He goes, they there yet? <laughs> <laughs> Why I tell that story is, what if there was a knock on your door right now and there's a new chair? That would be amazing. Is that going to happen? 
That's I wish I could because of the virus, my 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 miracle oh, guy. Oh, of course, of course, of course, of course, because of the virus. Guy. So you because of the virus. That'll yeah, be the new we're all in a fog. We're all in a fog because of the virus. I've already said that that is like there's only six jokes going around. There's one virus and six jokes, and one of the jokes is like, uh, "Hey, it's not so bad for the introverts. We don't have to see anybody." And I'm like, it, "We don't even need curb. We everybody's making that observation." Or it's like, "Oh, I don't have to see my 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 annoying in laws or whatever it is." Right, right, right. Are you getting any of that? Is there a part of Ben that enjoys uh, unplugging? There is. By the way, I, I find that I push myself very hard and oftentimes don't get to enjoy things or slow, slow down. And I, all, I realized that I could spend a whole day doing fucking nothing. Like I could play mm. video games and I could watch it, two episodes or something. Then we'll eat some meals and it's like I'll get through the day and be like, it's 7? It's 7 p.m.? Yeah. Like, and I am yeah. shocked how easy it is to do nothing in a day. Yeah, and how much of what we do is just designed to be something to do. Like, I don't work in the corporate world, but one of the jokes going around in the corporate world is like, holy shit, my friend Paul Noth did a cartoon about this for The New Yorker. It's like, oh my God, all of these meetings could have been emails. And it's like, yeah, a lot of life could be done, especially nowadays, without ever seeing each other. But we use our jobs, we use everything as excuses to see each other because that's like a real need. Like we need to, like how much are you, I'm fantasizing about just like shaking a hand. I miss a good handshake. <laughs> Shake your wife. I really hand. just want to, I do. She's getting a lot of shakes and baby Lee's getting a lot of kisses. Uh, I, I, I was, I this agree. is interesting. Like physical or just like a, walking around uh like seeing one of my friends just moved right right near where uh, we live and i'm like oh i would love to go walking with him and i was like i guess i can't i can't now he lives right there but it's like i guess like walking around or going to play basketball or going on a hike or stuff like that feels a little bit weird you can hike just at a distance i ran into moshe on a hike and we had a good six foot chat oh nice uh and 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 that's been really nice. Although it's a little bit like a zombie movie because Val and I have been going on more and more hikes. And I saw somebody that actually they saw me, somebody that I went to college with. And they were like, Pete. And I'm like, I look up. And next thing I know, a woman is coming at me, arms open for a hug. This was like two days ago. No, no, and no. I, and I was like. I I was surprised. I was like, I stepped back, put my hands up and said, what are you crazy? <laughs> and then she, Ben, she thought, I swear to God, she thought I was big timing her because I've been on TV or whatever. So she was like, oh, I, I'm sorry. And then she went to hug Val. And I went, no, 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 no. Don't, aren't, aren't you following what's happening? The, 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 there's a pandemic. And she goes, oh, I'm not following it. Like it's the World Series. Oh my God, that's like. And then Jared Leto Leto said, "Like yes, came out a twelve day. It was one of the most perfect headlines I've ever seen. Jared Leto just got out of like a twelve day retreat, and he goes, What's going on?'" I was like, "Yes, perfect." I guess this woman was on that retreat with Leto, the Leto retreat. But then she started walking away, and I could tell that I it was either insulting or embarrassing or something. And have you ever done that where you I didn't I didn't initiate this exchange and now I'm the one going so uh, where are you like what are you doing in that like to make up yep, for always. like I'm always. sorry that's what I did 
And I, and I was like, oh, I really would have loved to hug you. I just, you know, my baby was on my back. Leela was strapped to my back. And it is like a zombie movie in those moments where you're just like, ah! like, don't you know? Like, we don't even know who has it. You could be giving it to my baby right now. It, it went from like very relaxing hike. It was the same hike you and I did, the Griffith uh, Observatory. Oh, beauty, beauty. Yeah, so you can still do it. We could do it with a good distance. I guess. Maybe maybe that's what it takes. And we have a dog, and so uh, when we walk the dog outside, people want to pet. We have a very cute dog, and people want to pet the yeah. dog. But now yeah. we're deciding, Buddy. you know what, don't – don't like – because you're, I guess of course dogs, not. Dogs can't physically get it, but when you pet the dog, that dog will be in our bed. It's a virus. Yes. It's a virus loofah. It's a virus swab. <laughs> I, dude, again, I'm taking like three walks a day. I take Leela out because there's nothing. You can't take her to the park or anything, so you just take her on a walk, and I'll let her out, and she runs around, and it's beautiful. And oh. then I hear. These two women walking their dogs, and they go, little person. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? It's a zombie movie. I'm like, they start coming over with the dogs. And I just scooped Leela up, and the woman was like, she loves do- our babies. Our- let, her- let her pet them. And I was like, I'm sorry. I-, I just don't know what the protocol is. But I'm thinking, I wouldn't let you touch the baby. You touch your dog. It's if A equals B, B equals C, baby. What are we we're, doing? We're also very uh, or very nice people like where I don't want to make anybody feel bad or I don't want to have a confrontation or feel awkward. So like it takes yeah. so much of me to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Could you not pet the dog or something like that? Yeah, I. that's it. And because of the one on the hike, I've gotten better to just be like, I might be overreacting. I just don't know the protocol. So yeah, we're just going to wave. And, and, and But I got better because of the first one. The first one, I just went, what are you, crazy? <laughs> and I should have said, I literally said, what are you, crazy? I should have been like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's so great to see you. know. But now I know. Like That's, that's one of the things I learned. But I don't even know. You got you to gotta find that right level of careful to be. I think this falls within that. But I do catch myself having thoughts like these headphones that I'm wearing for this episode, uh, I haven't worn since I was on an airplane. And then I was like, should I wipe them down? And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not living a life. A I did a voiceover uh, record for something I'm doing. And it was like the pandemic had started, but it hadn't gotten like bad, bad. And I was like, I don't think I should be here. Like, cause you're in a small room and you're using, yeah. like, and then I will say this, the, one of the record places I go to a lot, I love them, um, up in, uh, wherever it is they're, they're lovely. And they're like, you know what? We wipe down everything. We wipe down the microphone. We wipe down the stand. We wipe down. I was like, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, but it was before we really knew that it could be airborne for like three hours or, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, someone yeah. had just been in here. So you can't wipe that down. And I, re- I regret like being in that small room doing that for, you know, do, cause when you do voice record yeah. also like. Sometimes your voice has to be really high and your throat gets really raw, so you're more susceptible to get sick. Um, so, oh, yeah, I mean, wow. Whatever. But in my head, I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't done – I wish I was a little bit safer. And then after that, I was better because I'm not great at saying no. So I, after that, I was better at being like, no, 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 let's reschedule. Let's cancel that. I don't – you know, let's not do this now. Yeah. There's no reason to do it. And then, um, and, then thing, and then after things broke and it really got crazy, then everybody was totally be like, yeah. Like I had physical therapy for my knee. And the guy's like, come on, we're wiping everything down. And I did one and I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> and then the next yeah. time they're like, okay, now we're not doing it anymore. And it was a matter of like four days. And I was like, oh, shit. Yep. Man. That's, it sucks because four days ago, people were probably just as sick as today. We're just learning about it. 
I know. Do you have anybody in your life that's just like, is sort of like my dad that just isn't taking it seriously at all? I don't My parents are uh, over 70 from the Southern Bronx. They really work their ass off. They're like, I love them very much. And the right before it got big, I, I was like, dad, you can't go to the gym. And he's like, oh no, I'm wiping everything down. I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. That's like, it could not be a worse place for you to be. It's like all sweat, all everything. And he's like, ah, okay, okay. And then I FaceTime him. I talk wow. to my dad almost every day. I FaceTime him two days later and he's right in front of a fucking, uh, whatever, like a pull, <laughs> pull down machine thing. And like, we you know, the, you know, oh those, you know, that old school one that's like a big, like you could do your legs on one part and then your arms on the other part and da, da, da. Um, <laughs> this is, by the way, you and I, you should do a, we should do a workout podcast the way I'm explaining this machine. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> You know the the belt. There's a belt, and yeah, you're yeah, on it like a hamster. <laughs> yeah, you sh- it shakes your midsection, and then you heave a ball. The gym. I know the gym. He goes there, he, and I go, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, No, 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 no. I'm at a I'm at a store to buy gym equipment. <laughs> like what? And he bought. Was a he lying? Thing. No, he bought. A, he bought like that full body gym thing where you can you know there's weights on one side and you can do legs, arms, or whatever. And uh, and he bought it, so now he wow. has it in the house, and he can work out from home. I was like, "That's amazing." I was, I was literally, I had the appointment in the books to have my friend Billy come. He's a handyman and take apart my elliptical and just get it out of here. And then the thing happened that we were like, "Good thing we have this elliptical." <laughs> so it's like your dad went reverse. But your dad is very sweet to me. Your dad like listened to you. I sort of had that frustrating sensation where I was like. It doesn't matter what I say because and I, I, this isn't sad. It's just a fact. He doesn't really see me as like a contemporary. I'm like his baby boy. I'm a ten. I'm basically a ten year old calling him and being like, "Dad, the virus." And he's like, "I got this. Never be afraid. Always go to Dunkin' Donuts and never be afraid." Dad, like Dunkin' Donuts. He's like, "I love this egg white breakfast sandwich." I go, "Dad, it's not healthy." He goes, "It's got to be healthy." I was like, "No." Oh my god. Say, my- my uh, my family's very good in that. Um, I, I he is, you know, he's he's done so much more stuff and had so many more experiences and dealt with so many different human beings than I have in his life. But if I say something a certain amount of times and like with a tone, not tone, but be like show that I'm serious about it, he'll at least listen. That's something that he told me when I was younger that I thought was really interesting. He's like, he's like, I'm going to tell you, you know, when I, when you're younger, everything your mom and dad says is true gold. I mean, for me at least, when I was a kid, you know, you just listen. You just yeah. assume they're always right. And now that you're a father, yeah, you probably giants. understand that you're just fucking guessing half the time. But um, yeah. So he would. He one of the things he told me when I got when I started to get in college, he'd be like, like, oh, dad, like he'll say something, and it feels very parenting in the time when you didn't want to be parented, and he'll be like, listen, this is this is all I'm going to say. When I tell you something, it's just you know what I want to tell you, and then it's up to you if you want to listen to it or not. It's totally up to you. You're an adult now. You can do it. And I was like, oh, I actually like that. The, and by the way, I do the same exact thing when I receive notes on a script. It's like, all right, instead of immediately being like, what? You're wrong. That's not right. Or, oh, this sounds insane. I'll listen and absorb. And then, and then later on, uh, I, I'll you know, be like, all right, is this for me? And I have a great example. Of this because story. that was, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. I did a, when I was helping out with uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. Um, I got lucky enough to like help with that voice thing for BB-8. But also I would look at cuts of Star Wars. And I, JJ, once he had the movie kind of in a place he liked, invited a bunch of younger people to watch the movie. And this was 
you know, this is before, I don't know if you're a Star Wars person, but it was like a huge deal that another Star Wars was going to be made. So this was seven, episode seven. This is before anything. The last yeah. one that came out was episode three. So I went there and it was another screening I was going to see, you know, whatever. And I get there and it's all these younger people. And I was like, what? In my head, I was like, what do you do? Like who, what, like he has access to the biggest directors in the world and the writers in the world. And he, and I, and I went to him afterwards. I was like, uh, what are you doing? Uh, oh, and I should say we all watched it. And then afterwards he got in the front. It was probably 25 people. And these are the people that had seen it before anybody else. It's insane. Like, it's so cool. These kids got to see it. And he asked them, yeah. what are your thoughts? What didn't you understand? And he really listened to them. He, he stayed up in the front of everybody, lit, pointed, yeah, okay. Took and, and never said like, oh, blah, blah. He would always like let it, like he would really listen to it. He'd really understand it. Like, okay. And he would never like negate anybody. Even if someone who's young says something that, you know, someone who never made a movie before would say that they didn't quite understand something. But he would all right. absorb it. And then afterwards I asked him that and it was a very similar answer when it's like, you know, th- these are, you know, th- a lot of people th- this age are going to be seeing the movie. I want to see what connects with them, what doesn't connect with them, if they understand stuff. And he was totally right. And he, the, the amount of patience and everything he gave every single one of those kids, uh, he treated it as if, you know, it's like a group of great directors are there. And I love that. Yeah. So it's the idea of really yeah. absorbing, listening. And then, you know, later on, you can figure out what you want to do with it. So, that, so that I feel like that's the way that my dad took it from me when I said it to him. And I think then he read more, like, then he's like, you know what, fuck it. What's the point? Why, you know, he's in that group that's considered the at-risk group so because of age stuff. So he's like, fuck it. And so, right. uh, um, yeah. But isn't that a cool story? I really story? love that. No, I love that. You got to learn how to hear uh, not just criticism, but like notes. You got to, like, it's okay. Like, I wish somebody had explained that to me. Like, I'm a person, you're a person. That's something I do a lot of uh contemplating on is is that Leela is you know a dignified valued member of reality you know what i mean she doesn't belong to me she's not my thing and when i i want her to grow up knowing that so when i tell her something obviously there's going to be a period where it's for her own preservation that she should listen to us but when she gets older i would love to do what your father did i think that's a real gift and it leads to your ability to take notes on the projects you're working on. And I wouldn't be surprised if JJ had a similar situation. I think that's really lovely. I love, I love that. And also the idea of really giving people time to talk and see what they have to say. Um, when I was in college, yeah. I was an anthropology major and my teacher, George Gamelch, we went to Ireland on term abroad. My first time ever out of the country. It was, such a, it was late for me. My first time out of the country was when I was 20 or something like that. But it was, uh, mm-hmm. we went out of the country and, he would talk and he's an anthropology teacher. So he would talk to anybody. So he would talk to homeless people, uh, a homeless person and ask exactly what's going on and treat them with the same respect. He would talk to when we talked to the, when we went to school and he talked to a professor and I love that. Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah, we're learning about culture and how people live and survive. And these are what, these are all the different types of people that make up that culture. And he was, uh, it was a very cool way as a college student to, cause I was a, I was a anthro and psych major. I didn't do stuff till after I graduated college. So it was a very cool way That's to learn so that cool. stuff. And it's it's modeling it. Your dad was not just telling you to do it, but you saw him do it when you told him something and, and he expected you to do it. And that's that's just lovely. I've also heard that like it's not the note, it's where the note is given. That's yeah, something Jed told me. What's behind the note? I've heard that too. But it's very hard to win. Let's say you and I write – I write movies mostly. So let's say I, I put in two and a half months and write uh, you know a 110-page movie – and then someone reads it in an hour and a half and gives you five pages of notes. It's just, 
And the first couple times it happens, it's hard not to be like, oh man, even if they start it with like, this is great, but here are my ideas. And then you almost want to mm. defend all your stuff. But as I've gotten older, because they're like your little babies, especially at the beginning. But as you get older and you realize this is a job and stuff like that, you give it a, my favorite. Uh, I used to print out my scripts when I was done, go over them uh, with a pen afterwards because I would be so tired of looking at my computer screen and make my edits that way. And then I would hold it in my hands and be like, oh, my God, I fucking – I made this world. I did it. Like when I held it in my hands, for some reason, it felt like such a big thing. Um, And enjoy that moment because I knew it was the only moment I had before I handed it in and someone was going to tell me what they didn't like like about it. That's funny. That's like what Tony Hale said. Tony Hale said he loves auditions because it's the time where it's the most yours. Like no one's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to edit it. Isn't that a a complete – reversal of how most of us look at it he's like oh, it's God, the purest yeah. act you'll do that's really really cool i i do that when i finish a script it's a little bit different i'll just email it to myself as a pdf and look at it yes. on my ipad just so it's different i just wanted and there's something about not being able to type into it and you have to write down the note longhand and then go back and work into it i totally agree. I, I i didn't really I think I knew that you wrote movies, but how how does that even work? Are people reaching out to you with ideas or are you pitching ideas and then writing no, it? No, so, so I've sold six movies, five movies to studios, five or six movies to studios, and wow. none have gotten made. But I sold two to Universal. I sold one to Paramount, one to Good Universe, which now is Lionsgate. I sold one to Searchlight. And then I have, a, I have an indie movie that is going to be – well, was supposed to be – was supposed to go into filming this year, but I don't now. I don't know what's going to happen. But um, but it happened with me uh, at the beginning of my career. Uh, you know, I'd freelance anywhere they they would have me, trying to keep my writing career alive as well as my acting career alive and my voiceover stuff. And because I always wanted to keep my, give myself all the opportunities I could, and so it's it's a part of that where it's like if I can't, I cannot create jobs as an actor. Uh, I mean, like I can do my short films, which I did for a long time. But it's like, you know, after a while, if you want to be on TV and movies, I can't make that happen by myself. I am not in control of that. I have to wait for an audition. Yeah. I have to get a callback. I have to do director session. I got to hope that I get the role. But for writing, I'm yeah. always in control. I am always in control yep. with how much I want to write. So, so I, I would go around. My first script I did, I sold to Imagine off of a pitch that I did in front of Brian Grazer. And then the next one I did for Imagine and Universal as well. And then the, the ne- oh no, and then the, the next one I got on the blacklist, which is this fun list that uh, Franklin Leonard put together, which is actually pretty remarkable, especially from where it came from, where like assistants and people throughout the industry would vote on their favorite unproduced scripts, and it would be put on this list. Do you know about that, Pete? The blacklist? Yeah, you know? I do. Yeah, yeah. So I did a remake of a movie called Soap Dish, but um, which was a great movie from the. Um, 90s with like an incredible cast and i did it as an all latina cast uh involving telenovelas instead of soap operas and um Mm. that's and i did one draft of it i wrote it so quick i probably wrote it in two months one draft and it was for alan greisman who worked with rob reiner for years and he did the original soap dish and we wrote it for paramount and it got on the blacklist but it just never got made a lot of my movies just it it just stops unless you have a huge star attached or something sorry so these are your movies, these aren't people aren't saying, would you like to write uh, the soap dish movie? We have you're you're coming up with the conceit. I think the only one that wasn't mine was soap dish because soap dish was a thing that already existed and they had read something that I wrote and then they go, would you be interested in this? And I literally remember recommending a different writer who I thought would be better for it. And then the producer called me on the phone and said, no, 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 we read this script of yours. 
and thought you could crush it. I was like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know much about soap operas or telenovelas. And they sent me a bunch of telenovelas and I watched them. I was like, oh, I know, I know what I want to do with this. And I pitched it to them. They're like, let's do it. <laughs> uh, but oh, all the other wonderful. ones are off of, like I had all these different, especially at the beginning, you think of like tricks just to write as many log lines as you can. What I would do is I would write, what if 50 times, this is the very beginning of my writing career. What if 50 times, oh, this might be a good place, a good form to talk about it. What if 50 times on a piece of paper, um, and then I'd fill it in. What if someone didn't have the ability to fall in love? What if blank, 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 blank. And then I'd look at them and I'd cross out the ones that are terrible. And maybe out of those 50, there's five that are interesting. And then I'd write three sentences hmm. on those. And then if I'm bored by the three sentences, I'd cross it out. And if not, I'd write a paragraph. And then I'd be like, oh, this is a movie. This is not. This is a movie. And that's how I would start at the beginning. And I had like, you know, I have pages and pages I of love notes. That. Isn't that cool? I love that. That's really, really cool. I, I know uh, that the, it's a tricky guy, but Woody Allen had a similar thing where he would write down little scraps of ideas. It was in that PBS document. Oh, yeah. Him. And he would like put them in like random drawers and stuff, right? Yeah. And he found one. I always remember he find one, he picks it up and he goes, what if a young man inherits a chest of magic tricks? <laughs> I was like, that's, that's all right. I, I mean, that's fine. That's pretty I good. Lo- I, by the I way, mean- I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to write that. But it's what if. It's what if a regular guy finds out his grandfather was a famous magician and he had no next of kin and he inherits the best magic tricks in the world. That's not a bad idea. It is. It's a, it's a great idea. And oftentimes uh, at the beginning after that blacklist thing happened, companies and studios would come to me asking me if I'd want to do – I've done a ton of punch-ups. I punched up a ton of movies in my time, but um, asking me to do uh, a page one rewrite, which if someone doesn't know, it means basically like let's say you have that magic trick thing, right? And you wrote a whole script on it. Pete wrote a whole movie about this guy who finds all these magic tricks and inherits them. And then they go, hey, we love this idea, but we don't love the movie. Can you write all new characters and stuff for it? Start from page one. And then I, yeah. I would just be like, you know what? If I'm starting from page one, I'd rather just write a new thing. Like, why even use that? Let's just think of a new thing. So that's why oftentimes when I get offered uh, stuff, I usually say, I think I've said no every time. I have said no every time except for that one time. And there's one or two properties wow. that I was like, one or two properties. I was like, oh, this could be really fun or this could be, this is like too big. I don't think I could do this one justice the way, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but, right. well, but yeah. So it seems more fun. What was like, that? What did they want you to write? Uh, Schindler's List 2. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. G-A-W-D. Oh, my God. Schindler's second list? Oh yeah, God. it was a secret list he had. His grandfather left him a second list in this magic book. He's like, oh, I got to fucking do this list now? <laughs> oh, my God. And it, was just a, it was just his, like, grocery list. It was, like, things he was going to pick up. Oh, my whole movie God. I, I love talking about this because I was in a car – uh, recently, I think this is when I was in Cle- it was I got picked up in Cleveland. So this I flew to Cleveland, flew Great back show. the next day because the the shows were canceled. This was like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um. So, but I flew to Cleveland. I got in the car, and the guy. It, it was one of those things that if you saw it in a movie, you'd be like, "This is too cliche." But it did happen. The guy was like, "I've seen you. I've I've seen you on TV." He was kind of like Eastern European guy, and I was like, "Oh, cool, cool, man." And, and like the Mitch Hedberg bit, he didn't offer any commentary. He just said he saw me. And I was like, right. okay, that's fine. And then he goes, how do you, how do you uh, sell a movie? And I'm like, 
oh, you've, you've written a movie? And he goes, I've written six movies. And I'm like, wow, six, six movies. Ben, this is a hundred, this is a hundred percent real. And I go, uh, well, you know, you look up the agencies, WME, uh, UTA, whatever, look it up, find an assistance email on their website and, and email it to them. And, and they have readers and they'll read it and hopefully you'll get some feedback. And he goes, yeah, I did that. I did that. I was like, you did that? And he was like, yeah, there's a website. And I swear the website was like, we read your script.com. I went to that agent. He thought that was an agent. I'm like, oh no, I don't know where to start. And he goes, I wrote a horror movie. It's, oh, no. it's 80 pages. He goes, hey, 80 pages. I can't get it any longer than 80 pages. As if the length was the, the point. Like a, a, a TV show is 30, but it, it's got to be this many pages. Oh. And then he, I swear to God, he goes, no dialogue. No dialogue. Just <laughs> there's 80 pages. So this guy wrote a script that was like, and then and then they run into the library and they think the monster is behind them. And then she says, um, I think something about like a monster. I think I hear a monster. I don't know. I don't do dialogue. And then oh, they go into a car, 80 pages of that. I did my best. I, I you, you realize, like you said with JJ and some of the kids, like you realize we're missing some of the fundamental building blocks of like, the point isn't the page count. The point is, you know, you need a story that's big enough for a movie or whatever it might've been. But uh, I just let it go. God, that's so funny. I, oh, <laughs> so, or the thing I think once you're a comedian for quite some time, the thing you hear the most is you'll meet somebody that you've never really met before. They'll say something that they think is funny or a story. And they'll be like, they'll either say, don't use that. Or you could use, or, or they go, that. oh no. They'll go, oh no. Dude. You know, the comedian's probably going to use that. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm all right for now. La- Last time my parents were here, they came to the door. I opened the door uh, and they had taken an Uber. And my parents, it's very sweet. They like talking about uh, me to everybody, especially in LA. They go, I don't know if you know this guy. He's our son. (laughs) And the Uber driver was like, yes, I know your son. I drove him once. I gave him a story. He said he was going to use it. That's what they told me. I was like, that didn't happen. Uh, I mean, I never would have said I'm going to use that. He was like, you can use that. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. He comes to the door. He was behind them and goes, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, kind my of. God. And he goes, did you use that idea? And I go, oh, not yet, not yet. I didn't ask him anything. And then I said to my parents, I was like, what was the idea? And it was like, it was about how his wife left him and he has two kids and like he doesn't get to see them anymore. And I was like, that's what he thought. <laughs> that's what he thought. By the way, and I would hear so funny if his idea was your exact idea for your HBO show that was about your life. That's and he's hilarious. Like, you stole my entire fucking thing. But you, <laughs> you had dialogue. Well, that's that's why I didn't ask for any details. In fact, I would have stopped that guy if he tried to tell me anything about the movie because I kind of felt like he wanted maybe some feedback, but I was like, I am not doing that. I like, that's a bad situation. Even the fact that he told me it was a horror movie. I like, I'm afraid of selling a horror movie now. I love the idea that, Oh, by the way, that happens all the time where I'll have an idea that's kind of similar and someone be like, yeah, I'm working on this. And I go, Oh shit, I got something like that too. And then I'm like, does that sound like I'm still like, that, that's like one of the reasons why uh, I remember when I was like at the beginning, I was trying to get a job on SNL or whatever, and I'd send them a packet um, and they'd be like, we can't open it because if you have a sketch in there that's similar to something we're writing, you're going to think that we're stealing it from you. What, you know what I mean? So we don't even open those. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. 
So I kind of do the same thing. If random people somehow send me a script or whatever a script, I'm like, oh, I can't. I'm not gonna unless it's somebody I know or like unless it's like a whatever, not just a random person. Yeah, no, I I had that on um, on crashing too. It was it, we'd get scripts and even friends, and I would just be like. I, I can't. What if you pitch us something that we're doing and then we do it? I, and I, I always said the truth, which is I have 12 writers. I'm trying to get them scripts. You know what I mean? I'm trying to get their name on a script because yeah. we wrote all the scripts in the room and then one of us would go off, but somebody's name would go on it. And I'm like, I'm not looking for more people. Uh, I'm looking for fewer people. I'd, I'd like to get uh, Beth Stelling's name on a script. I don't, I don't need to uh, get She's you in She's very fucking funny. If, what is your life post crash? Oh, does your does your life uh, do you crave that exact situation again, or does it make you not want to do something like that? Are you happy with the time off? Are you happy with just acting in something and not running something? Or what's your what are your thoughts? Has it has it has it been thirty minutes? You, you keep asking these great questions uh, to me, minutes. but I mean. Oh my god! But that that was my time limit for answering questions about myself. Oh, but let let's keep you got. I'll answer, but you got to promise me something. Ready? I, I never use the word. By the way, you're going to learn something about me. I never use the word promise. Isn't that weird? Tell me why. I think why? it's because someone in my life kept using the word promise or swearing on something as a kid, and they would not do it. And then I would be like, "Oh, then I, it doesn't mean anything." So I don't. I don't ever want to use the word promise unless it's like one thousand percent sure going to happen. So I, that's exactly. Wow. Isn't that weird? I just. I haven't thought about that in a long time because how often does someone in your life say, you got to promise me? Like nobody says that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in the treehouse now, baby. I know. I I never pass up an opportunity to tell this joke. It's an old Jewish joke. I love it. Yeah, it's it's like a rabbi's joke. Uh, it's not funny. I think it's great because you said I won't do it unless it's a thousand percent going to happen. So here's the joke. Rabbi's walking down the street uh, and a cop sees him and it's it's on Saturday and he's clearly heading to temple. And the cop says, heading to temple, rabbi? And the rabbi goes, who knows? And then the cop goes, yeah, yeah, right. It's Saturday. It's, it's time for uh, service. I'm sure you're headed to temple. And the, and the, he goes, who knows? And then he goes, and then the cop gets irate and he goes, you better get straight with me right now, rabbi. It's Saturday. I know that's your temple. I know you're going to temple. And the rabbi goes, who knows? And then he throws him in jail and the rabbi goes, See, <laughs> that that's a great joke. So uh, really, you should never say promise because nothing is guaranteed uh, great. to either of us. But I will uh, try my there, best. The, all right. I, I want you to t- uh, tell me that you intend to try to do something. Okay. Uh, what do you mean? In my life? No, no, no. I, I, instead of promise, I'm saying, will you oh, intend, intend to try, try to do something? I will try in my, using my whole body and soul to try to do whatever you want me to do now. What is that? That is, when I answer your question, you are going to tell me for two uninterrupted minutes what it made you think of. Okay, after you, okay, so I, I almost use your story as a suggestion to, to uh, spring. That's what I'm mind. saying. Okay, great. Let's do it. Yeah, it because, takes, because I don't want this to. Nine minutes I, and 32 seconds. Okay, uh, but I'm going to go real short and then you get two minutes. I can't wait. Here it goes. Uh, I don't uh, miss it. I like doing it for three years. It was very, very uh, difficult for me to have everything sort of funnel through me. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the process. But when it was over, um, I was happy to go into a place like you of like the next idea, the, the fresh idea, the novel idea. I was also very interested in how to be the architect of a life where I could minimize some of that stress that I experienced. Um, even being here on quarantine, I'm just like, oh, wow, what is this teaching me about what I really enjoy about life? Is it 
because I'm writing and I'm really happy and my stress is really low. I was like, should I turn the volume up on that more and, and try and produce things and maybe not necessarily be in every scene of the next thing I do? Uh, because that seems to be more balanced and maybe a little bit less stressful for me. What does that make you think of? There's a couple of things. That make start, me- the cl- start the clock. Okay, we are, we're at an hour 35. I have till hour, there, there's a couple things that make me think of. One is that there's this pilot that I did called The Wrong Mans, uh, which was, I think we were going to change the title to Fluke or something like that. It was a UK show that we were redoing. I spent three years, I've never really talked about this before. This would be probably the first time. Three years of my life uh, developing this show. And and um, and then we saw, it was me, James Corden was producing, J.J. Abrams was producing, and then I got Jillian Bell to be in it. And it's like, yeah. it, the cast was amazing. Jillian Bell is one of the most talented people I've ever met in my life. And I put everything I had into that thing. And uh, it made me not do TV for three years. I wasn't allowed to be the lead in it because I wanted to be the lead in this show that I was, whatever. And then when it finally went, I put in so much time and so much effort in every decision. Like, because I wanted it to go so bad and I invested so much time. And then um, exa- exhausting myself. You know what I mean? Anything else that I was doing yeah. felt like, it just, I was able to do some stuff before we were in production, production, but you're really, you know, like you're working on scripts to the last second and then you're thinking about other stuff. And, and then I was deleted and I'm in every frame of the, the pilot. And so we shot the pilot. It was exhausting and um, it was done. And then the post-production happens, as you know, it's no joke, especially if it's a pilot, you work your butt off on that. And then when it was over, I was like, great. And we handed it in and we all thought, you know, like we had a really good chance. And then uh, Showtime ended up not picking it up. But I, I, which was devastating. It was really devastating because I turned down a lot of TV roles uh, to be the lead in TV roles for years, so I could do this because I was so sh- I was so excited about it. Um, <laughs> and then it was it really hurt. It was like oh man, because it's like because also then you look back and you're like, did I just waste three years of you know like when I'm kind of young and I was coming right off a of House of Lies and Parks and Rec, but I re- you know what I mean. So that was a different <laughs> thing. But I'm 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 fine with that now. But um. I was like, oh, if this go, I remember having that feeling of like, if this goes, how will I be able to do it for every episode? And I'm not even directing them. I was just EPing, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, so when I think about you doing that for that long, I think about, wow, it would have been my entire being, my entire life. I would have had no time. I don't know what my life would have looked like um, for that. I, I, the, the idea just from doing that one pilot, and maybe it was because I went, uh, not overboard, but I really just was like, I quadruple checked everything on that first one. Maybe I'll have a little bit more uh, relaxing, yeah. relaxation in the process. But I, I remember being like, God, I don't know how to do this for, you know, what could be five years or three years. Man, that would be so tough. It'd be so tough. Um, so that's the first thing that made me thought of is the anxiety of that moment. And then feeling, and then hearing it didn't go, being really dis- disappointed, trying to sell it elsewhere. And then it's very difficult to sell a show once one place passes especially with like a big price tag. Ours was a pretty expensive and cool show. Um, and mm. then it kind of just disappeared and nobody gets to see it, which is such a bummer. Um, that was yeah. the first truly, if you're, if we're talking about like back of my mind shit, what that, I mean, maybe that's selfish of me to think about a moment where I'm like, Oh fuck. But that was the first thing that my head thought of. And that took three minutes and 40 seconds to explain to you. I love that. I, I please continue uh, talking. Cause I, I love hearing from you. I already know what I know. <laughs> I will say by no, the third season, I, I got, yeah. oh, go, go ahead. No, no, no I, I got just, nothing. I got, I got much better at um, delegating by the third season. And that's the only way to do it. I, I thought you had to be, 
you got to be like the Coen brothers or something. And it's like everything, every frame, every line. And what I look back and I, I saw Judd was showing me is like, I, I was just watching something about Stanley Kubrick, very similar was they would write and they would rewrite and they'd rewrite and they'd write and then they'd rewrite and then they'd rehearse and they'd throw it all away based on how the rehearsal went. They just put in, and that's exactly what Judd does. We would work really hard on these scripts, would rehearse them and then would be like, well, see how naturally we said it in the rehearsal. Let's just do that. Um, yeah, and but how that different at the, is that performance in the actual script? It's not 100% different. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, let's, let's not get crazy here. Of course, the writing is super, super important. I just think – I watch a lot of – it's funny. Cinefix and all these things on YouTube about movies – are really masterclasses, these free film masterclasses on YouTube that I've been watching a lot during this downtime and just in general. But they talk about uh, Kubrick really putting in so much of that intentional Ben Schwartz pilot uh, focus. But then because a film is longer and there's more collaboration and there's more life to it, potentially, he always left the windows open. Like he had all the, all the origami and the paper stack, just how he wanted it, but he left the windows open on purpose. So that get blown over by Jack Nicholson being like, I think maybe my character is this or, or yeah. whatever it might be. And, and they show like, there's a scene where uh, Jack Nicholson's character is at the typewriter and there's this huge book next to it. And they explained how the book was a huge plot point and it just got removed because the, the, uh, the great filmmakers and TV makers that I know, know that it's another thing. I've said this a million times, but there's the show you imagine there's the show you write, there's the show you shoot, there's the show you edit. And then Mm -hmm. that's the show. It's completely different from Mm -hmm. the one uh, often that you imagine unless you are like the Coen brothers in your storyboarding as you're writing. But I, I feel like that's a special kind of uh, genius there. I don't know I, if that's our style. I think that's, uh, by the way, I think that Judd gets that from Shandling because Shandling's whole Larry Sanders idea is, I mean, I was very close. Well, I mean, I was close, close with Gary and uh, he was a friend of mine, which, you know, him passing away really bummed me out, man. But um, uh, yeah. we would talk about stuff and I would even watch like the behind the scenes stuff on Larry. Uh, but then like near uh, the end of his life, we were g- getting together and writing this little some some fun thing. We were going back and forth and something. And it was so great to see him be creative and stuff like that. But I remember watching the Larry Sanders stuff. And he would talk about that idea of like giving yourself room to breathe so it feels real and stuff like that. And he would – even yeah. in our writing, he, I remember one time I went over to his house and something happened along the way. And he's like, you know, that maybe that happened for a reason. Let's Let's explore that. Like that little interaction that just happened. Let's think maybe something can be done with that. I was like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Like, or he's like, yeah, this happened in my life. I want to write about it. He goes, ooh, what if you like cast the person that it happened with in the thing with you? How real would that be? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. It's those people, and, and Gary, from what I know about him, had that almost Jungian appreciation for the subconscious and for serendipities and like. Oh, yeah. And I, when I, I just did something with The Simpsons and I was talking about Judd and they were like, well, that sounds like Jim Brooks. And Jim Brooks is one of those guys that would have a very hard line about what an episode would be about. And then I, I think the joke example was then he'd see a butterfly and he'd be like, there should be a butterfly, something with butterflies. And like he'd let <laughs> his imagination, let his life kind of grilled cheese press into the project. And you can see that. I've said this a million times and I'm interested to hear what you think about this as a, a scriptwriter. 
my note that I gave most often, whether or not I said it or not, I always thought, where's the fun? Where Nobody's having fun in the script. Nobody's, oh, that's nobody's thinking. Nobody's thinking about what's in a coffee shop. There's, co- there's cups, there's scones, there's waiters, there's waitresses, there's people at the table next to you. Like I didn't see a lot of, I saw a lot of linear, this is what has to happen because it's in the outline. But I was like, you're very good at this and I'd love to spin it back to you and, and uh, get your thoughts on how you keep fun in a script. And my example of fun is if you watch uh, Jim Brooks movies like Spanglish or Broadcast News, you see that it's oozing with fun. No downbeat is wasted. No line is wasted. No action is wasted. They're like, we're in a newsroom. Here's the sort of things that happen there. And I'm like, that's that abstract thinking. That's that creativity. It's not just people talking because a story has to be told. It's a world, I love saying undulating, it's a world undulating and spilling out over itself that feels real. Is that something that you're aware of as, oh, as you're trying to write? The, the, the idea of, well, first of all, I think it's coming from an improv background. That's a huge thing of improv. The idea of like, all right, now let's say Thomas in a scene uh, goes to a certain, this happens in one of our specials. Thomas goes to a certain part of the stage and he picks up a glass, you know, it's all improv. Nothing's really there. He, he phantom, he mimes picking up a glass, drinking it. Right. And then moving to the other thing while having a serious moment. Now I remember that that glass is there. So anytime I go to that corner of the stage, if I just happen yeah. to be making a moment and if my brain remembers, I can incorporate that glass or whatever. So, or like the, in our specials, we play like, you know, sometimes we play 12 people at the same time. So you have to know exactly where everybody is. Uh, what, if we're in an Italian restaurant, what does that mean? There's got, maybe there's a chef there. Or maybe the food comes out weird because of right. this. And right. That. So right. Improv, the improv uh, mind really aids itself to the fun that you're talking about because that's called almost the game of the scene. Where it's like how to use the whole buffalo. If we're it, me and Thomas will do an hour long show sometimes in one location, so we have to find every nook and cranny in that location that we can play with. So it's Fuck like, an a. yeah. So that that's something I love. And sometimes for me, uh, I will let the joy and the dialogue and my oh, this is a fun beat. If this happens, uh, happen, and then I'll read it, and it'll just feel like it's too easy. There's it just happens, and it's like it it doesn't connect with the story. So I'll sometimes have the opposite of what you're saying where. Uh, when I'm writing my outline, I was like, oh, I really want this funny moment, this funny moment, and these things happening. And then I've concentrated too much on the dialogue and the set piece, like fun little moments that it's like, all right, but fucking why mm. is this character doing that? Why is this character doing that? What's the drive of this character? Is it helping anything? Like, can we tell the story with this? What are we learning? Wow. Um, so, so you the, sort of have the opposite problem. Yeah, because I started off like freelancing jokes for Letterman, freelancing jokes where we can update, writing 15 jokes a day for two years. And then doing improv where you're hitting the game every two seconds. And then uh, slowly uh, when you started doing movies, even just reading Save the Cat, learning what an outline looks like, you start to feel where the beats are supposed to happen. But writing those beats, it still has to make sense. Like especially the more intricate movies you write are like if it's an action-y like, you know, whatever type movie, those things, you can't just have those big action set pieces. They have to make sense. Like I remember someone was like, Die Hard is a movie about a guy trying to get like, uh, it's a Christmas movie that he's like, he loves his wife very much. And this is him trying to get his wife back or whatever, you know, I was like, right. Oh, that's right. That's right. So it's like, Oh, that's so interesting because that, that is the underlying theme for the whole thing. 
makes it so much more interesting. You care so much more. The Simpsons, you care so much about each episode because they're family that loves each other and they're family that doesn't have a lot of money that's just getting by and you're rooting for them. And these are all the mishaps that happen, but especially in seasons three through seven or, you know, one through seven, one through eight, one through 10. Like it, it you always had that moment of like, that great moment where, you know, when he's doing everything for uh, Maggie and he has that thing where, you know, where Mr. Burns, for her, yeah. that's exactly right. Like those moments that hit so hard or both of them leaving the ice skating rink together or like, you know, there's a billion B sharps meeting up again to have their last concert, like the Beatles on the roof. Like there are all these moments yeah. that like really connected with me as a kid and have 100 Calvin and Hobbes, which we've talked about and Simpsons are probably two of the biggest influences in my entire life in writing. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I love what you said. By the way, if I ever am struggling, uh, I won't like hold you to this, but you're you're a great friend to keep in mind when you're looking for that fun um, because you do have to have that balance. What is the point of the scene? What is the heart of the scene? What do people want? What are their drives? But then also the garnish of like, can we have a little bit of fun in an Italian restaurant? Just so, yeah. And finding that right uh, balance. You actually see it uh, in like John Wick, which you, I say actually because people might not think that that's like, you know, the Godfather, but that is a, a spatially brilliant script. They're, um, they're taking the time to imagine what might be in a world that, that, that would be fun for them to shoot. Uh, and I would argue that that, uh, that has the emotion uh, of of a guy who's lost everything, who's trying. Well, to what, yeah. What's the basically... story of that movie? Well, I mean, the best part of the the parts of the movie that you really remember are the idea of all these action sequences. But that movie is about a guy who gets his fucking dog killed, and he's like, "Fuck this shit, I'm gonna kill that guy." And so you're like, yeah. oh. So like, that's why you. I mean, for me, but it's not just the dog. It's it's the dog of his wife who died. Yes. So it's his grief. It's his hope. Plus, I don't want to get too uh, fake deep here, but a man who loses everything, we see this in a million movies, has nothing to lose. And I've argued that that's similar to what Gandhi says when you make yourself zero, meaning when you erase your ego, your power is infinite. Meaning if you drop the story, meaning wife, puppy, house, in the second one, he loses his house. Spoiler. When you lose everything, (laughs) we go... Oh, he has nothing to lose, so he can go on a rampage. Maybe that's true on one level, but really you're seeing a deep truth there, which is when you have nothing, this is why Spider-Man always has to choose between Aunt May and uh, saving the city, is you need to lose uh, attachment, which is a very profound but simple Buddhist idea. It's like the the more you're tied down by your desires, the less powerful you are. So I think there's something subconscious going on in there same thing with like the avengers and stuff we all feel like we have aliens from another dimension visiting us that might be your parents that might be your psychology that might be your trauma that might be your self-doubt we all know from our dream life and from our subconscious life the feeling of the heavens opening and a million aliens come in that's why it fucking feels good when iron man who's a regular guy who uses his uh you know his downtimes to build a suit goes and shoots those aliens or when the joker gets defeated by batman these things matter to us psychologically and metaphorically well, the in big, very my profound favorite ways. type of movies to write are ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances that's my favorite thing like to or if you start with an ordinary person and you put them in the thing that they shouldn't be in and they have what would a real person do to get through that 
Like the, the, a lot of my movies revolve around that. And also the TV show, The Wrong Man's, which is a UK show. When I watched that, I was like, oh my God, this is like the type of stuff that I write and I love. So that's like part of the reason why we want to Americanize that. So it's like, it, it's, oh, wow. it, it is, it is that feeling of um, that stuff. Yeah. Which we're, I think we're all drawn to, right? When you see yourself in the character, whether it's male or female or whatever, and you're like, oh, I was, I w- yeah, dude, when my parents visited, I was like, this is why the Adams family, how many times have we rebooted the Adams family? Your family can feel like a different species. They can feel they're you, but they feel like vampires and witches. And you know what I mean? Why does that idea, if any idea would be just as good, why can't they be a family of clowns? We want monsters. We want archetypes. Those things hook you in in ways that you don't even understand. That's why like 21 Jump Street worked better than other ideas because for some reason or another, we all have the dream of going back into school. We all wonder what would it be like to go back into school. Oh, that is that is an archetypal idea. Those same guys going into a, a culinary school wouldn't work as well. It needs to be high school. We need to see how things have changed. We need to see how the lessons they learned in high school no longer apply because the world is changing and stories are supposed to help us understand how the world is changing. That's why these movies work. Uh, and that's why John Wick works. I, any movie that that really strikes a chord, I think you can find exactly what you're saying. People in situations that they're not prepared to be in, but also underneath that, a psychological interpretation of that feels like my parents feel like the Adams family. <laughs> like, you know, what? you died sometime in 1992. That's why you have no new info. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's the same thing every time it's it's the Adams the movie, family the movies um there has to be some of this i wonder by the way i'm, I'm walking around my desk holding my laptop while we do this to, to just to move but do you think that oh my god i, I just thought about this yesterday like how many movies are going to have to refer like this is such a huge thing that happened it's, yeah that oh yeah like will every movie have to have a, a sentence about it a line about it like or are people going to crave a world where the movies don't talk like how they're going to be, of course, a billion I was, movies that cover just this stuff. And uh, there's going to be five different network shows that cover just this. Yeah. But it's like, do you have to, is it going to be in every, even if it's just a sentence or two, will it be mentioned in every oh, yeah. movie? It's, it's like the Sopranos. They would, because Sopranos happened around nine 11. So they would have me and Mulaney used to joke that that start a scene it had nothing to do with this. It would just be like, uh, Tony or somebody being like, now they're saying they might not find bin Laden. And then they'd like start the scene. <laughs> and now it's going to be someone going like, Oh, uh, you need some saran wrap coronavirus, like some sort of reference. Of course you have to. It's a weird thing for everybody on the planet to be going through, not everybody, but a lot of us going through a very similar thing. And when something like that happens psychically, I mean, psychologically, I mean, it's living in millions of people's consciousnesses right now. That is what art is. Art works with those things. It works. How many, you joked about Schindler's List, but those things have echoes that need to be addressed. Of course. Deep psychological. And this, this isn't the Holocaust. I'm not saying that. I'm saying anything that's experienced by this many people is exactly what's going on in art. And that's what I'm saying. That's why uh, 21 Jump Street, for some reason, school and the fear of adolescence being applied to adults is is an archetypal idea well, and something so happening the, like this. The talking about bin Laden or something like that. It's of course something that the world knows about and stuff like that, but it's not something 
that the world, a person in every part of the world can reach out with their hand and touch somebody who's affected by it personally. And this is the first time something like that's happening where it's like this virus is like it is throughout the world. And it's not, yeah. it's like you could see it. Like people could see their friends or text with their friends that have it. And it's not like hearing a story that happened in, you know, a different country or something like that. It's, it's, it's prevalent crazy. in every country. So I, I don't, I mean, in our lifetimes, we've never had to stay indoors like this before. We've, we've never experienced no. it before. Um, so it, I, I wonder how, what happens to art afterwards, because you're right, like improv after, you know, different things happened. We, it happens, we, we get it out through, you know, your stand up and our improv or something like that. But, um, it is, it is just going to be every, I mean, first of all, we got, it needs I mean, to be addressed. It, I guess. And then like, I wonder if people will just be fucking tired of hearing of, you know what I mean? Cause they've been here for months. And they want to laugh about it probably. Right. And then when we're out, right. I wonder what the people will want. Will they want, all right, let's fucking oh, concentrate yeah. on the future. Or will they want more of, Guys, we all because it's all like it's like when you do something like when you play a sport together or like when you do something together and it's uh, traumatic or something like that, then you have that experience with you and your friends that you just had this thing happen. Like when I was, it was so funny, uh, like uh, in high school, I was in a car with my friend and uh, he almost got into a crash. And then we're like, holy shit. And then for the rest of our lives, we remember we almost fucking died. Like, you know, like there'll always be that story. And That's then, right. um, but now it's a different type of thing where you could look at anybody throughout the world and be like, God, that was fucking weird. Wasn't it like, yeah, isn't that crazy? That's right. I do. I think we're going to see an upswing in, uh, communal things. I think we're going to want to see more ensembles like the movie avatar. The ending of avatar seems way more appealing to me these days. I find myself watching shows with bigger casts. Like, I used to be like, show me Madman, show me one guy stuck in his body and the world through his eyes. And now I think we're going to see more of that interconnected uh, message, potentially. Because one of the things I hope we learn from this, and I, I sort of alluded to this uh, last week, was that nothing is isolated. We are one thing. This is yeah. one thing. I know we all have this the the feeling of isolation, but we are not – and you see isolation coming out in horrible ways. And I was like, if there is a silver lining, one of them could be, don't you see, just your existence makes you at home here, makes you a dignified, as I said about Leela, a dignified, inherently valued member. I know you need psychological love, you need value, you need place, all that sort of stuff. But you, by being here, are it. There's only one it and you are it. So we have all these fucking packages coming uh, to your house. Guess what? Now we have more awareness that a person brought that package or your food. Who made the food? It's These lessons are coming through fear, unfortunately, but they're still good lessons. Hey, motherfucker, be grateful. Someone made your food. That person should have paid sick days. That person should be tipped. That person shouldn't be overworked. You mm. should be grateful to that person. You should be grateful for a life that uh, you have a restaurant or you have a Amazon package on your step. So all of that 2019 fucking it's just me and what can i how can i make my little stupid story a little bit better can i come a little harder can i eat a little better can i whatever it is and i do Why mean come i mean a little harder <laughs> why is that the first thing i mean i mean come because the way that people hole up and and watch pornography and think that they can get everything that they need through synthetic or digital means 
is a symptom of the isolation that I'm talking about. When really what's happening underneath all this is like, hey, dummy, we're in this together. Human beings matter. Human beings interacting matters. That's not just the point of life. That is life. And we need to care for one another and be there for one another. And you can't get it just by uh, not even talking to your postmate and then jerking off to porn. You need, we need each other. It's a real thing. We learned a lot about porn today, I guess. <laughs> Why do I always go to porn? Oh no! Did your parents growing up or something? Buddy, don't even start. I wrote this whole book about it, about God and sexuality, and all my parents took from it was like, "We all know you like to play with your tallywacker." That's all they got from it. It is. Maybe it's so funny and it's so sad to me when I got a good look at just how much of everything I do is trying to get my parents to understand me and how little it's working is a sobering thought. It's also a liberating thought because if it's not working after four decades of it, maybe it's time to put put down those bags that are filled with free weights. Just drop them. You don't need them. Get on the train and move well, what on. What do you feel like is connected the easiest with them? You say it for this many years, it's been hard to connect. Has there been anything that's gotten through? What's the method in which that happened? No, not really. <laughs> God. Oh, not really. God. Petey! If, if it happens, it happens. Let me ask you a couple quick ones. It seems like hey, we got to go, right? We got to get out of here. I'm doing whatever I gotta, you want. No, I got This is changing gears somewhat. You, Ben, you talk at your friends with fucking J.J. Abrams, and I, it's no surprise to me when – I forget who you just said you were friends with, but you're friends with so many great people. I'm going to ask you a very basic question. Uh, how do you win friends and influence people? How – like what is something <laughs> – is there something – because not a lot of people are like you. I, I happen to be more in, in your camp, meaning I like talking to people. I like making friends. I sort of know how to give off that frequency that doesn't freak people out. And that leads me to some pretty interesting friendships or whatever. Um, that being said, there's a lot of people that probably look at a guy like you. And I, I saw you on Kimmel and you're at the basketball game with Sandler and Billy Crystal. And you're like, oh, yeah, these are my friends. And, and KG, we're friends. Kevin Garnett. And uh, – and I'm like, there are so many more people watching something like that and going, what, who told Ben how to be a person? Because it's, it's working very well for you. You're like a very uh, well-liked guy. The, the, well, first of all, I don't know Kevin Garnett. Uh, I was friend, But by the way, anytime you point to someone that I may be friends with, I could easily tell you what it is. Like, I got cast in a pilot for J.J. Abrams. And then we hit it off in that pilot. And then we wrote a little thing together. And then we became close friends. And then like... Like I, and then his family. Yeah, but like, the point I want to, I want to hit, I want to hone in on is hit it off. Do, do, like, do you have something that you could share with people as a technique for the socially awkward amongst us, for the people that would like to make? I'm not even talking about famous friends. Just like, is there something? Think about young awkward Ben, yeah, by the way, and I think about a revelation that he had. Away, let's take away the word famous because that doesn't matter. Who cares? So let, let's yeah. let's let's say just friends. The idea of uh, uh, um, friends, which I, by the way, which I think is, uh, interesting is that I kind of always go, I, I'm pretty open and I always try to like, and I think you're the same way. Like I rather put a little bit more effort, uh, and be nice to everybody than, uh, whatever. So when I go into a situation, uh, I, I like want, I, I like want people to, 
I don't know. I'm I'm not trying too hard either. I think that's uh, something I learned at the beginning. Yep. Like, don't go in there so hot where it's like whatever. It's it, it's just. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just being kind to people, and that's like uh, what someone, some interview, uh, someone was interviewing, and they talked about the way that I was raised was very good because my parents are like that. They're very social. Not like we don't have people over. Like uh, my parents didn't have people over. I don't really have people over now and stuff like that. But it's like. Just the idea of being open, listening, listening to people, actually listening to what they're saying, responding, not making the whole thing about whatever the fuck it is that you think that's important. You know what I mean? I think that's mm-hmm, big too. Mm-hmm. But I, I think literally leading with kindness is is a big thing. I think it's a part of the reason why you and I are friends, but it's also part of the reason why you and I are able to have friendships because I don't think you and I are using anybody either. We're just like, it's just, it's nice to have somebody that you're kind to and that reciprocates and stuff like that. I, th- I bet you can relate. Yeah, it totally does. I bet you can relate to this because when I've hung with Sandler, it's always at Largo when he's doing my show or I'm on a show he's on. It's a wonder. I love the word frequency here because there's a frequency you can transmit that these people pick up on, which is I don't want anything from you. And that's good advice. So take famous people out of it. Roger Sterling on Mad Men says the way to go on a client dinner is to treat it like a date and sit there and listen and act like you have nowhere else to be in the world. And I was like, that is just good, basic personhood advice. When you're with somebody, be with them. You mentioned James Corden. James Corden told me that Will Smith, Tom Cruise, all these incredible celebrity types all have one thing in common, which is when they're doing something, they're actually doing it. Mr. Rogers did that as well. He was like, the most important thing I'm doing is talking to you right now. And they can emanate that frequency. I don't want anything and I don't need anything that isn't happening right now. This is it. And that is... I think wonderful advice that, that I think you're using the word kindness for that as well. By the way, that's also the, the, uh, like Sandler, I kind of know a little bit. So that thing was just, uh, I did a movie with Billy, uh, we were the leads in this movie and we became good friends. And then, uh, so he was sitting next to us and I played basketball with him a couple of times. He's a great basketball player, but I don't really know him. You know, I've never spent time with him. I don't know. I don't know anything really about him as a human being. So when I saw him, there's a piece of me also that's like, Oh man, like, I don't want to bother him. Like I just, I'm just like, oh, yeah. I don't want to bother him. But uh, like, you know, we saw each other at Gary's house a couple times or then like when I was filming the Sony lot, he would have a game there and I would play in that game every now and then. So uh, I wanted to like say hello, but it's, it is funny. Like there's parts of me that's like, when I see someone that's like really someone that I look up to, I will almost, I don't have the balls to go up to them unless there's a reason for me to go up to them. Cause I'd just be too, I remember I met uh, yeah. someone introduced me to Jay-Z once and I was talking to Jay-Z and to me, he's like such a big deal. And I'm talking to Jay-Z and literally while he's talking, I can't even hear him. All I can hear is the back of my head being like, well, this guy doesn't want to talk to you. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. What? He doesn't, he just, he's not, he was nice to you. He shook yeah. your hand. Now you're wasting his time. He just get at it. Like, and my head would like yeah. tell me, tell me that. I literally remember that moment. And meanwhile, you know, he was probably just being, he's being nice and talking to me and not thinking that at all. And I'm yeah, thinking like, he's oh, not going, this guy's wasting my time. Yeah. No. Oh, of course not. But, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Same with like when I saw Sandler sitting next to me, I was like, I mean, we know each other enough for maybe a hello and maybe he recognizes my face, but, uh, get in and get the fuck out. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, and you know, and if they, and if someone wants to talk, you, whatever. But I think, I think, uh, also in, in terms of just normal friendship, the idea of caring about someone and, uh, you know, like being open to listening, uh, to their stuff and sharing something of yours, I think is, I think is a real thing. By the way, I think people should be doing that now when everybody's isolated. You should be calling people and checking in on them and seeing what's going on and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Um, there, yeah. I don't know if you can relate or any, like I do have a lot of friends and then other times I'm like, I have no friends because I'll be on a walk. Thing. Yeah. I think people like us are just going to have that. I, I sometimes see in my mind, like some in memoriam video about me and it's Val just being like, yeah, Pete couldn't do a podcast with somebody without them wanting to be friends. And then at the end of the day, I was sort of his only friend, <laughs> like, which is, which is not, sort of sad, but it's also okay. That has brought up the in memoriams. There's a different comedian that came up to me. and was like, I'm afraid there's nobody that's going to talk my in memoriam. And I was like, oh my God, that's what a dark thing to say. But for, for uh, It is dark, but it's also self-centered. I, I didn't even mean it that way. I, it was just a way for my brain to play a movie for me to understand. I, I, I want to be clear. I, I don't actually think there'll be an in memoriam. I was just like, it's one of those cliches. It's a cliche from an in memoriam. We just watched the Nora Ephron movie, which is maybe why it was on my mind. And when she passed, everybody was talking about her. And I was like, oh, that, that obviously, I think one of the reasons we like those is it makes us think about our own lives. And I was like, it's challenging for me. I was on a walk the other day and I called five people and nobody picked up. And I was like, guys, what? Are we, no one's doing anything. Like, what is this? And it did give me sort of a nasty, not even nasty, just sort of like a an Elliot Smithy feeling. And then I called Berbiglia <laughs> and we talked for an hour because he's, he, and I said to him, I was like, you're one of my best friends and certainly one of my best phone friends. Like, I, I mean, I struck out five times. I'm calling people from high school. Like, I'm really like, let's go deep. And like, man, Petey hit zero. I will say like there's three o'clock the on moment, a quarantine uh, day. The moment uh, that I, I have uh, will be like, but I realize why it's like, um, uh, you're right. You and, you and I are probably very fortunate to have a lot of people that we're friends with. But like, I'll be like, oh man, you know what? I want to get dinner tonight. And I have an open night tonight. Who am I going to get dinner with? But I'll think of that like two hours before dinner. And then I'll call like, you know, five or six of my friends that I'm like really excited to be one-on-one with and whatever. And then when that's over, you're not just, just like the older you get, the less excited you're like, I don't know. Like <laughs> all those people that, all those people that I, you know, like my close friends are like not available. Not, now what do I do? Like, do I have any, you know, stuff like that. That's where I feel yeah, like that yeah. comes up. I always, I forget who said it. It was either Eckhart Tolle or Muji or, or some uh, spiritual teacher. They were like, instead of thinking of all your friends abandon you, think of it as the universe has gifted me solitude. Because as you do get older, you do, and this is very timely, you realize that solitude has some of the best gifts possible, like really finding a present day alone. There's a great Gunger. My friends are in a, we're in a group called Gunger. And they say one day lived in love is better than a thousand years of fame. And love meaning yes, meaning like a day that you can be like St. Francis and just walk around the park and just say yes to reality and let it come through you is better than all the Emmys and Oscars you could ever want if, you, if you're not doing that presently. Oh, all and, this and, stuff, you and, have to separate business life and real life. Real life is what you know, re, you know, really matters and stuff like that. And business life is the fun stuff we do on the side. But for me, the biggest thing I learned from that was I talked to one of my friends and they're like, yeah, you can't call two hours ago. You, two hours before something happens. Make plans. Let's yeah. make plans. And then I'll be like, oh, I'm just like, like I don't know. Like yeah, and I was like, oh, I gotta make, I gotta make plans. But then you do that, yeah. and then all your nights are filled, and then you're like, fuck, I wish I had a night myself. So it's such a yeah. fun little stupid thing, yeah. Yo, you want New York living? You want New York dorm That's right. living? That's exactly That's what right. That is exactly right. That is. Exactly you want to live right. and. 
And you know what, dude? That's what we're designed for. Everybody, I think, I can't say everybody. I'll just say I hate plans. Plans with my favorite. Jimmy Kimmel said it on this podcast. I love it. I've said it probably every day since he did it, uh, which is if it's in the calendar, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I could have in the calendar dinner with my hero and I'd still be like, I don't, I, I can't believe I have to drive right now. So what we want is what I feel like they're doing in Denmark. I don't know. I've seen some some footage of some communal living that happens in other cities. And I'm like, that's where you can be like, hey, I'm picking red peppers. Do you want to make a stir fry? And it just happens. <laughs> and you and I happen to live in a place where it's like, what are you crazy? You're giving me four hour notice for dinner. I got to be in Laguna by nine. <laughs> like, it's just a nightmare. It's a what nightmare. are you doing in Laguna at nine? I got to make sure the surf's pulling out in the way that we want it to because the next morning I'm not surfing, but a friend of mine is surfing. You have no control. I told him I'd look. You have no control. You do. Oh, There's an app. Oh, There's fuck. an app for it. Oh, wave, wave crest. Oh, oh fucking. Have you ever seen a ghost, Benny? Let's get out of here. Let's end on something deeper spiritual. You seen a ghost? You seen an alien? I've never you seen ever had an out, out of body experience. I've had a You ever thought you were going to die? Um, panic attack okay panic attack sure and i by the way i think i had a panic attack when i was younger even younger and i didn't know when i was in ireland for my trip abroad wow i can't believe that came full circle i remember coming home really drunk one night i don't really drink much now never done drugs never smoked a cigarette still to this day but uh you know like it would would drink and uh i drank a bunch that night in ireland and it was a great great old time can't oh wow reusable bottles you're doing great um, and, uh, that's what I heard you putting a reusable bottle back on or twisting a cap back on. Is that correct, Pete? Who, me? No, dude. That was my Charlotte's Web. What this would have been for you. It's my, uh, CBD. I wonder if you'd use this. It's not, it's not a drug. It's, um, made from hemp. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, CBD oil. So that's I your went, gift. I, you're very, that's kind. your gift for doing the podcast. I'll send it to you. Normally I would just hand it to you. You can't wait. CWM.com so- slash weird. Keep it oh, Christmas wow. 19. Jesus Keep going. Christ. Christ almighty. Plug. What else do you want to plug just, while I'm telling a story? Do you want to get real now? You're plugging. Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie is in theater. It's not in theaters. It's uh, going to be released. It's going to be in it's going to be on digital, actually. It will be. March 31st. I, and it, it must sports, be. April 21st. There you go. We got our plugs out. Okay. Uh, so I, I went up to my room and I was, I think I was drunk and I realized how far away I was from everything. And I go up there. And I took off my contacts and I go up to the bathroom and I was like, oh boy, I'm drunk. And I started sweating. I see like, I didn't even, I'm assuming this was a panic attack because I had one hmm. way later in life that I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is me, my body responding mentally. Something. And what happened was I started sweating really quickly so much that my glasses fogged up. And because that oh happened, then I was like, I, I had to wipe away and, it, and they, they redid it. So I put cold water on my thing and then I kind of like almost went to my knees right near the toilet. And in my head, I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to throw up. Something bad's happening. My body wants to throw up. But I, I didn't realize till later on in my life that that was probably me having a panic attack, being like, wow. holy shit, I don't have, I'm not in control right now in my body. I'm a billion miles away from anybody who cares about me. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. I'm with some foster, not foster, but whatever. I forget what it's called when uh, term abroad parents, you know, like. And there, everybody's asleep, and I don't want to bother them or wake them up. And I had a little moment there, and I tried to throw up, and I guess I didn't put water on my face, got better, and then went to bed. But I wouldn't have known back wow. then that it was a panic attack until a very similar thing happened a couple of years ago or three years ago where I woke up, 
uh, and was like, oh my God. And like almost felt like I couldn't walk. And like, I, I was like stumbling um, and let, let myself calm down. And then when I, when I was able to categorize it as that, when it happened, I was able to calm myself down a bit. You know what I mean? What, what triggered them? Do you remember? The one back was there it, was what, that a, isolation. The, I, I, I think the one back there was the idea of like, holy shit, if something bad happened right now, I would just die. Like nobody's, I would just fall down here because if I'm in my house or whatever with my parents, because it was college, I'm with my roommates or parents, I'd live by myself yet. Someone would hear me or someone would know and someone would come right, after it. But these right. guys are dead asleep down there. And I was like, ooh, you know what I mean? Because you're not with your friends anymore. And the one up here happened. And by the way, the one up here happened days after. I had, there was like, I had some tests to see if I had something bad with my body, like some sort of cancerous thing with my body. And it came back negative, but I was waiting for the results. And I think it was mm. after, I think it was after, I think it was after I found out and my body just had not reacted to the stress of not knowing for so long. It was like two and a half weeks or it was like way too long, 10 days or 11 days or 14 days where I, it was between them saying, hey, you need to get like, uh, a, a, we need to cut it to, or we need to get a needle there to make sure it's fine to finding out. And it was so scary. And then your body has to start being like, hey, you know what? You know, if you do have it, it's fine. This is how we'll deal with it, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a lot of cancer in my family. We can figure this out. This happened to someone, like a family that knows how to deal with this, blah, blah, blah. So like you're, you're already putting yourself through all those things just in case. And it was just, um, I think it, it just... It, it crushed me. So I was like, oh, man. Wow. Um, I f- think it was before I found out. I think that was what that one triggered. But then after you have one, you're fearful of getting another one. Um, and I've had yeah, so, so crazy? few. I've had so few that it's even scarier because I haven't had the resiliency of knowing it's going to be okay. Uh, so then you kind of teach yourself that. And so you start, you almost start worrying that you're going to have one. Yeah, exactly. Have you had one at like a very inopportune time? I mean, you do so much performing. I'd be. No, uh, no, I haven't. Not, not yet. Like I'll, I'll get some like uh, pain in my back or something like that. If I get really nervous on a live thing, but it won't ever be, nothing will be like, uh, nothing will be like, like that full on stuff where you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you feel dizzy, like you're going to fall down or whatever. Hmm. I think that's so interesting. And it does tie into what we're going through now. Eckhart Tolle posted a video that I enjoyed very much about what's happening. And he's like, there's so much fear. And he's like, if you look at your fear, your fear is a projected future that isn't happening. And Seinfeld actually said this on one of the comedians in cars. And I I've tried to emulate this attitude, which is like, if that happens, we'll deal with it, which is what I heard you did do in that story. It's like, if it's that we'll deal with it. And there has, we have to have some of that. If it's that, we'll deal with it. But it can seem a little glib, but I, I really don't think that it is when, when Eckhart is saying, what's wrong right now? Like your brain, if it gets the reins of all the horses in your, in your being, it'll just run them up Twitter and up CNN and up everything. And you'll just convince yourself that you're completely out of control and, and, and you have it and everybody you know has it and we're all going to die. It's like you need to bring yourself back into the moment and just deal with what it is there is to deal with, which is fear itself. Let's manage that right now. And by the way, sometimes it takes a person, like it takes a person for me to go to, Oh my God, I don't feel good. Uh, And then that person will be like, you're going to be fine. It'll be fine. And that'll be enough. Someone that you care about, someone that you love telling you that you trust, like it's going to be okay. And that's enough to get you to be like, okay, all right. Yeah. Thank you. You know what I mean? 
Isn't that funny? Even though we know it might not be based in facts, like Val, uh, like everybody, a couple times we've been like, I don't know, I have a lot of mucus today, or I just sneezed or whatever it is. Um, sometimes I'll just say to Val, I'm like, you don't have it. Like, you definitely don't have it. Like, we're we're staying in. We're acting like we have it. But sometimes you, I try to play that part for her, and I just go, I just know. I just feel it. You don't. I just, like, you don't have it. Like, get over yourself. You're, you're not that special. You don't have it. We're fine. And, like, there, even though she knows I'm basically doing a bit, it makes her feel better. I think we – I forget where I was. I went to a church. I know you like talking about religious stuff. I went to a church recently – not recently, maybe five years ago, something bad happened in the world and everybody was scared. And it's upsetting to know which, what happened. I don't even remember the thing that happened. But I went to this thing and there was a guy in the microphone and it was an all African-American church. And uh, I was there because I think the core, I was like, I really wanted like the chorus was like well known. And I was like, you know what, let's try this out. I was shooting something and I had some days off. Also, when, when I was in Atlanta, I went to Martin Luther King Jr.'s church once, and it was beautiful and singing and gorgeous. Ah, that's but so great. I yeah. went, and um, and a, a guy, this heavy set. Isn't it funny, sorry, Ben? Say it again? Isn't it funny that you, you don't really need a good excuse to go to a black church because the music is so good? Oh, my but God. You go to like great. the church I grew up. No one wants to hear my church just being like, he is exalted. I would never. I would never. is exalted. I would, on ne- I would never go to your nope. church. Let it be known. I would never there's, go to your church. <laughs> uh, that's right. But if there's a, a back row of atheists at a black church, we're all like, yeah, I understand. Kirk was, Franklin, let's get it on. It was another uh, example of like the anthropology seeing uh, like what people in Atlanta do. Or da, 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 da. And I just had never been to this type of church before and I wanted to go and I went with my friend or whatever. And this gentleman, uh, there was a chorus behind him and he was, he was singing in the front and all he was saying over and over again, I forget the exact sentence, but it was something along the lines of everything is going to be okay or we're all going to be okay. And he said it mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And it was like, it was like something that everybody needed to hear. Uh, which I feel like kind of now uh, is something like everybody needs to hear. Just anybody, anybody that they're looking at saying that it's going to be okay. You know what? We're going to be fine. This sucks, but it's going to be okay. And so this guy yeah. saying that, singing it over and over again, it was just something I needed to hear after whatever terrible, what number, you know, number 1000 of the terrible things that happened in the past blank years. So it's like, I remember it being like, oh my God, I get it. This is great. This, I love it. I'm so happy I came here just to have this gentleman tell me that everything's yeah. okay. It was yeah. such a cool little moment. I love that. That I, I've been listening to my homeboy Richie Rohr a lot, and he he pointed out that if you look at the Old Testament, whenever they're praying, they're praying for Israel. They want intercession for Israel. So that religion used to have this corporate uh, idea, identity. It was it was a group. You know what I mean? It wasn't just Israel. It was the idea that we're all doing this together. This ties into what you're saying because. When someone in church says, or Bob Marley says, it doesn't matter, everything's going to be all right. There's something in us that resonates with that. And I don't think it's just optimism. I think there's something deep going under. Oh, maybe because as a kid, as a kid, you're told that so many times as a kid. And we try to revert back to so many things that make us feel better as a kid. I think that might psychologically explain it. What I'm sort of alluding to is the idea that, remember, we're, we're sort of awakening to the idea that we are one Israel, that we are one group of humanity, of planet, of cosmos, of reality. It's one thing that's happening. And when we say everything's going to be all right, we're talking about the evolution of consciousness and being itself, meaning the all rightness 
involves your death. It involves your heartbreak. It involves your loss. It involves pain. That's like, so when we just go around whistling in the dark, being like, everything's going to be all right, that's not true. A lot of those people whistling in the dark get hit by buses. What we're saying is we're going back to the idea that it's not a narcissistic journey, that it's not a narcissistic trip, that it's, that's why I say to Val, get over yourself. It's not just about you. This is about all of us waking up. This is about, this is in defending your life. Albert Brooks alludes to the idea that the universe is using everybody as a tool to do its own purposes and it's correcting and fixing these tools. So we're all waking up together. That includes the pain, the loss, the death, the shame, the embarrassment, me saying the bad thing to Regina Spector. It's all in the game. It doesn't just mean your wishes are going to be fulfilled. You're going to be protected. Richie, Richard Rohr pointed this out. He's like, we all used to pray to God to heal grandma as if God was up there taking a census. Like if enough people pray, I'll heal her. But now we see that the loss of grandma is a part of the story. What if, going back to your what if idea, that is informing the collective. We can't just have the individual having their wishes fulfilled. We need to have a global and a collective view of what's going on here. And in those terms, everything is not only going to be all right, is already all right. Oh, are you going to name the episode Everything is Going to Be All Right? Play Three Little Birds, baby. <laughs> you can't you can afford it. Only you can get away with that. Joe Rogan can't. We're doing great. I, I knew you were the right person to do uh, the first remote episode with. Um, we didn't even talk about Sonic. Did you have a good Jimmy Care story? I oh, mean, he's the, by the way, talk about someone who connects with you. He will, when you talk to Jim Carrey, he looks at you in the eyes. He doesn't think about anybody else. He's not on his phone. You're talking to him. You're connecting with him. He's really having a conversation with you. When you brought up that story, he's the first person I thought of because he is truly there with you. Uh, he was lovely, but I didn't, I'm not on set with him at all. I just, uh, met him for press, but it was my first time ever doing uh, like big, big, big like adult press where I went to London and Miami and New York twice. And it was a crazy, it was a crazy uh, thing. And then the movie did so much better than people anticipated. And it, it became the number one, uh, the highest grossing domestic uh, video game movie of all time, which is crazy. Wow. insane. And then, um, and then yes. the coronavirus. Really exactly. Thanks man. Then they had to be like, all right, well, what do we do now? Do we, do we release it digitally or do we wait for the rest of the theaters who didn't get it yet? And so, they just made that decision, so it's coming out on the 31st. So that on the 31st, you can get digitally. But the, the big thing for me and your friend Thomas Middleditch is uh, April 21st is all three of our Middleditch and Schwartz, Schwartz specials come out. So we have three different <laughs> – Did you specials. just pronounce your name wrong? <laughs> I think it's Schwartz. Middleditch, Middleditch and Schwartz. Um, so, yeah. That's so great. That's crazy. So people want to watch that. It's on See? Netflix on the 21st. We have three different specials all made up on the spot. And uh, is there going to be a Sonic sequel? I don't know. They were going to tell us uh, how we did worldwide and then figure it out, but they have not told us anything yet. I think uh, all that movie stuff kind of got put on pause for a second. But my hope is that there will be. Uh, but I have, I, we have not gotten official confirmation yet. So I'm, I'm as excited as anybody else to find out. Oh, and then I have Space Force, a show with Steve Carell, John Malkovich, me, and a bunch of great people that comes out May 31st on Netflix. Okay, edit that out. Um, what is <laughs> what is um, the hardest time you've laughed? I think you did this podcast so long ago that we didn't 
asked this question. No, this- you did. I remember because I'm I'm thinking about it now, being like, oh shit, I wish I'd thought about that beforehand. Um, oh, it must don't, it, don't. It must be something Gillozeri related. I don't know if you know who Gil is, but Gil is one of the funniest yeah. people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and I'm he would sure do I, the prank phone calls to the 900 numbers. He would do, yeah, he would do prank phone calls to adult uh, adult service women. What are they called? Phone sex operators. And it, and it'd be like a, it was very jerky boys, like a neurotic Jewish guy being like, now tell me I'm, I'm never going to amount to anything. Like, <laughs> it, was it was so funny. He is, and he had this Snapchat stuff. And so if you look at all that, but I forget, um, I forget that. I mean, it must be something that he did. It, surely it was, but I should remember a real one and text you one day. Oh, don't worry about it. Honestly. Um, Pete, how fun. Do you have it? I loved it. I was just going to say, do you have any final – do you feel good? Hey, listen. This is what we're going to do. Pete, we're just going to tell people everything's going to be okay for 20 seconds. Okay, ready? I'll go. I say You do one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't do it in your your big, big, loud, terrible voice. Do you know what I'm trying to say, Pete? (laughs) Do it in like a sincere voice. (laughs) I'm kidding. I was just calling back the very beginning of the thing. Um, uh, I really uh, liked it, but we're get, let's let's do it for for one minute. I think that's pretentious. Or really, okay, wait, we're at forty three, forty four. In fifteen seconds, when it goes to one fifty three, I'll say the first one. Okay. Are we going to do it for a minute? You said that was pretentious. Let's do it for forty five seconds. Let's do it for forty six seconds. Okay, here you go. I, I hate this. Five, I hate four, this idea. Three, I hate it, but we can't fail. I hate it. I hate one. it. Everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You know, everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay <laughs> do one more real one do one more real one that's how it ends everything's gonna be okay I love you buddy thank you very much for having me on the show again thanks for doing it now you gotta say keep it crispy keep it crispy baby keep it fucking crispy Sonic the Hedgehog, Feb- <laughs> February 1st. No, March 31st. March, March 31st. Thanks for playing Rampage with me. You got it, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay, pal. Love you. Love you. Bye. Good morning.